All right, all right, all right, my friends. Welcome on back to the podcast, a podcast for budding enthusiasts. And as always, you're joined by your boy, Heavy Days, here from the Upside Down Library. As always, we want to give a massive shout out to our incredible sponsors who help make the show happen. Seeds here now, your number one seed bank in the industry. Guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Why would you go anywhere else? All the hottest breeders, the latest drops. Guess what? They got Lucky Dog as well. Go jump on it. But in order to grow seeds out good, you need to make sure your room is pest and pathogen free. And for that, you need to check out our friends at Copa Biological Systems. With all the best pest and predator technology, they will ensure your garden is firing on all cylinders and you have the best crop to date. Trust me, guys, if you've got aphids, check out their Afiparam. If you've got spider mites, check out the Spidex Vital. These are two must-have products for any serious grower. Likewise, if you're serious about growing, you've got to make sure your room's dialed in. And for that, check out our good friends at Pulse Sensors. From humidity to temperature to par to VPD to so much more, whether you're a single tent, a single room, or a multi-state operation, you need to keep track of your grow parameters to ensure you have the most productive harvest. Want increased yield, increased resin, increased terpenes? Get serious. Get a pulse sensor. And last but not least, a huge shout out to the Patreon gang. We love you so much. You're truly the lifeblood of the show. If you would like to get early access to upcoming episodes, completely unheard interviews with the likes of Mr. Mean Gene, Bob Hemphill, Bodie, Trichome Jungles, so much more. We're now doing genetic giveaways every second week on the Discord live sessions. There's so many reasons to join up, guys. Go check out www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. On this episode, we are incredibly blessed to have the man, the myth, the legend, the chem dog aficionado, the head honcho behind Lucky Dog Seed Co., as well as Lucky Dog Dispensary, none other than Mr. Skunk VA himself. We were lucky enough to record this one live from Lucky Dog Dispensary in Bozeman, Montana. Go check it out. The most fire cannabis you're going to see little bit of noise here and there we did our best to edit it i'm sure you'll enjoy it nonetheless here to catch up since our legendary first episode all those years ago talking about the chem dog genetics the future of legalization what you can expect from him so much more need i say any more guys let's get into this one Alrighty, gang, we're back for another one. Thank you for joining me. On this episode, we have the legend behind Lucky Dog Seed Co., the Chem 91 King himself, Skunk VA. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. And what a what a great venue to be filming this episode at. We are at the Lucky Dog Dispensary in Montana. Tell me a bit about it. When did this happen? Lucky Dog Cannabis uh, kind of was conceptualized uh, a long, long time ago, but this particular uh, version of it is, you know, uh, we uh, we started here in February of 21, uh, right after COVID. COVID actually uh, prevented us from getting a lot of the uh, licensing requirements, like the inspection and just a lot of the paperwork that has to be done here in Montana, beautiful Montana, Bozeman. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, so that's, that's kind of how it is. And uh, I made a big move from Sonoma County to here to kind of make this happen. Um, just want to be 
in the legal space, the legal cannabis space, um, just because I feel like in the future it's going to be absolutely necessary to be part of a, to be part of cannabis in the future, uh, to have a licensed facility. So that's what we're doing here. That's awesome to hear. I guess the first question that jumps to mind is how would you compare Montana to California in terms of the scene and maybe some of the legalities? Well, Montana is a reddish, purplish state, and they have an imp- interesting population here, and I fit in very well here because freedom is big here, not just in word, but in action, and I appreciate that it motivates me and inspires me, and I'm always going to have my heart in California, of course, the Bay Area is where I kind of grew up after, you know, I left Virginia and Grateful Dead tour was over, raised my family there, my daughter there, so, but it's changed a lot, the climate's changed there a lot, and and then cannabis has changed a lot there, because it's very difficult for a small operator like myself to function there, um, the regulation loop, uh, hurdles, the obstacles of distribution, and it just uh, didn't work out for me there. So I, th- how I got here is a long story. We can get into that some other time. And, uh, but I'm happy to be here. And so the way it's different here is I would say that the consumer here is more geared, at least my consum- customers that come here are more geared towards like older school. Like they're interested in what they had in high school. And I was surprised to find out that even though there's only a million people in Montana, it seems like everybody here uh, consumes cannabis. And so um, I have the opportunity to, you know, talk directly to my customers again, something that I had to let go of when I was in my early 20s. Turkey bags on beds, you know, suitcases and duffel bags full of, you know, Kush and sour diesel going far, far places. So I've learned here that, uh, you know, I've gotten back in touch with the consumer directly, and I love it. It inspires me. I love to be around the joy that cannabis brings people. And when people are just trying to make $100 here and there, there's no joy in that, you know. It's just the way you survive. But when you are able to show a consumer 71 different options and strains, we have 44 on the, in the display case right now, I mean, you can find and talk to them and find what they want based on what they've seen. And what I've noticed is a lot of folks, young and old, they kind of go back to what they remember, what they fell in love with when it comes to cannabis. And we have plenty of options for them, you know. We have the new and the old. And so, yeah, Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And as far as the regulations go, I never really did it in California, but I was close enough to see how difficult it was there. And although I don't, I don't really do well with regulations in general. I uh, have found that I can adapt to what is asked of me here. So I have. It's mostly just a bunch of letting go of, you know, that's fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) You got to bend to the will of the man, right? That's interesting, all of that info. And I would love to dive into some of the strains you have on offer. I guess the first thing I'd be interested in knowing is for anyone listening to this, there's basically every clone only you've ever drooled over in this display case. So my question is, 
Do you feel like your customers are aware of how spoiled they are in terms of they've got basically like the top 41 most in-demand clone-onlys at their fingertips? Do you think most of them realize this? They do have a slight view of it um, when they come in. I, you know, my perception is just between me and my customers. So between my customer and another company, a flower shop or what have you, I don't really have that perception. So what I do know is that when folks come in, they, I, you know, I, with a few questions, because I love cannabis too, I can kind of narrow down where, where we're going to go. And it's a lot of fun for me because we're both discovering new things together. And I love it. You know, I have customers that come in here, hang out and talk about, you know, purely what they're looking at and what, what they've experienced for 20, 30 minutes, you know, and I'll spend every minute with them. And usually they're the ones that are trying to get away from me because I'm leveling our mind with cannabinoid and terpene and brain chemistry information and, you know, trying to explain to them that THC percentages don't really matter that much and why don't they matter? And so <clears throat> I love it because it's given me the opportunity to kind of, you know, re-educate a cannabis user as to what we now know about cannabis and, you know, why we all love different things and, you know, why we're drawn, to, why you know, individuals are drawn to different things, you know. So it's kind of like a discovery for them. So I would say that it's mostly, you know, the thing I've noticed about the, my consumers that come in is that they want to try everything. It's like a winery. They want to go through the flight. Of course, it's going to take you a couple of weeks because we have so much. But, you know, we will get there. We'll go from A to B and down to C, D, E, and F. You know, we got it all. And so my favorite comment when I show someone um, and let them, you know, take in the aroma is, man, that smells like high school. And I'm like, that's the one for you then because I know exactly what you mean, you know. That's brilliant. I like the um, the analogy of taking him on a journey. And I'd be interested to know, what has unexpectedly caught you off guard as popular? Are there any strains that you thought maybe, you know, they're too strong for most people or just you didn't think it was going to be a crowd favorite, but it's turned out to be like a, a really big hit? Well, I would say that the, the, the answer to that would be not necessarily new strains, but uh, strains that have been with us for a while, uh, Durban Poison comes to mind. That's never really been a popular strain, as you know, so to speak, in all my circles in life. But up here, uh, they really do like that, you know, jet fuel, you know, energetic um, feeling. They like it, you know. So I, I've learned a lot about what people like by being here because. You know, you make assumptions, you know, about what you like and what someone else may like based on those assumptions of what, of what you enjoy. And I've learned that that's definitely not the case, you know. I've gotten reintroduced to that fact that it's just not the case. That you just never know. And you have to take the time with someone and go through it with them. And so, you know, luckily for us, even though we have probably more strains on the table than anyone else in this, in this uh, beautiful state, um, you know, we've been, I've been collecting these for a long time. And, uh, you know, the things that I held on to that it weren't never really popular were, are very popular here. And so that's been a big surprise for me. Also, you know, a pleasant surprise, you know, because we could talk Kim all day long, but there's so many different things, you know, and those folks, they try Kim and people come in and they're very frank with me about why they use cannabis. And it's just, it's a treasure to me. I love it. You know, it's rewarding again, you know. There you go. Well, look, I've got to tie it in. You know, this has to be one of probably the only places you can get 
verified Chem 91 flower uh, to purchase. What to you, what conditions do you feel Chem 91 works best for? And have you ever had any customers sort of do the, the fabled story of taking some home, consuming it, becoming a bit uncomfortably numb? It's a little too strong. <laughs> uncomfortably high. Um, honestly, no. I, uh, I've been surprised on the a level of consumption, uh, at least in my experience with these customers. I'm always blown away by, you know, you know, like their tolerance and like how much, you know, they like powerful cannabis. I don't have many people come through the store and say, hey, give me, you know, do you have something that's just not that strong? I mean, that's a that's a thing out there, but I don't get a lot of that. Um, so the way I do it here and the way we do it here um, is that like, you know, obviously we all agree that, you know, most of us agree that there's the indica, sativa, you know, n- nomenclature is not really accurate. It's it's got a purpose to it, and, but it's just not accurate. So I try to steer people away from that, and I try to find out, you know, what what when do they like to smoke? You know, do they like to smoke in the morning, or do they like to smoke in the daytime? Do they like to smoke anytime? Do they like to smoke nighttime? And that helps us narrow it down to what we're looking for. You know, and some some folks come in and they're they're clearly looking for relief of an ailment that's happened still. It's real, and so that makes it even easier when it's like that. You know, sleep, um, stress, you know, uh, my body hurts, those types of things. So we just ask some questions, you know, and we narrow it down. And, you know, I've noticed, you know, when I first started doing this and selling to the public, um, I I kind of, um, you know, felt like, you know, I got to be quick with these folks. And I found out that that wasn't really the case. They want me to spend the time. They want us here at Lucky Dog Cannabis to spend the time with them to help them understand what they're going to be consuming, why they, you know, what the, and, and then, of course, when they come back, I mean, my customers are, are like my family here. They're like, we talk about our lives. We pick up where we left off last week, if that's the case. And I enjoy that. And, and getting to know them allows me to, you know, kind of pinpoint, hey, maybe you want to try this, you know. Maybe you want to stay away from this. Maybe this one's going to give you too much anxiety, possibly. Maybe this one's going to make you too sleepy, and that's not, I know that's not what you want. You want to go golfing with your buddies or whatever, you know. So, um, you know, I, I just, I don't think that, you know, if I had, if it was a much bigger company, I don't think that we would be able to have that kind of personalized service, but here we do. And I, you know, I really enjoy it. So as far as like the Kim 91 goes, you know, I always tell folks that it's basically good for any time, anything you want to do. And then, I mean, you know, to be honest, I say, especially at four in the morning after a long night, you know, with, a, you know, say a bright and vibrant psychedelic experience and the sun's coming up, there's no better time to consume Chem 91 than that. But you can get up in the morning and smoke it and you can smoke it all day. It's medicinal, you know, if you're hungry, it's certainly going to help you with that, you know. So, you know, it's, it's an anytime herb here, you know, and I've, in the past, you know, I've always said that, you know, maybe this is the more narcotic, more, but then when I get other people's experience, and that's a key point, is that my experience is one thing, I have my brain chemistry, but everyone else has different brain chemistries, and so I always make sure to get the feedback from them, because I learn more from them than they learn from me. I don't know if they know that, but their different experience than mine, you know, enlightens me, and I appreciate that. And then that allows me to kind of reflect on it and to share that with the next customer. So, 
Yeah, I would say the Kim 91 experience. You know, a lot of people come here just to have the Kim 91 or the Crossroad Kim. They've heard about it, and this is their chance to try it, you know, and this, is the pla- this would be the place to get it. And so, you know, we have a lot of tourism here in Montana, and we have had a lot of people come from out of town, search us out, and then come and try Real Kim Dog 91. That's brilliant. It sounds in general like the Montana uh, clientele base or the, you know, um, patrons of the business are more educated and sort of interested in finding out a bit more, as you said. Out of curiosity, do you still find there are still a lot of those same trends you see in California? Like, I guess maybe a way to distill it down is, uh, is, is cookies still pervasive in Montana, for example? Um. I wouldn't be able to answer that accurately because my my perception is not it doesn't include that. Um, so I don't really get you know, and I I don't think I can't say this is this is uh, uh, you know something that would be across the board here in Montana. But my experience is you know folks don't really come in here looking for the strain they heard of. I have some of those strains, and I've been surprised that uh, how very little I I um, you know sell to a consumer of that it surprised me the the gelato 41 for instance you know i think it's tremendous i love it i love the smell i offer it to people oftentimes and they usually don't even want to look at it and i'm not i can't really tell you why i sense that they've tried it somewhere else maybe and that that they already had decided that it's not for them we don't really have any cookies strains here as far as i know um we do have trop cherry you know i don't know how these are really related to that but they in my mind they're kind of a part of that group um you know of course we have the tits this is the shit uh by deback genetics um and uh grandpa i think he goes by and it does have the ogkb in it so that's in there and that one's been moderately popular maybe not as popular it's one of my favorites so i don't think it's quite on that level with the consumer Um, most of the people come in they've heard of older school strains that we have you know or they've maybe heard you know uh, me talking about it in the past and wanted to try it Um, and then we have you know lots of clones that everyone's heard of you know so but we don't have a lot of that kind of stuff and we don't get asked about it a lot and um, you know that's kind of that's all I got on that really it's it's a little bit of a weird perception I got because of what we do have, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's a good answer. And you, you made me um, sort of remember one of the Patreon submitted questions we got, which was that on a recent episode, we were speaking to Tom Hill and he sort of said that um, it was a bit unexpected that he, he tried a sample of Gelato 33 and he was pretty into it. And uh, one of our Patreon listeners was wondering, are there any other modern strains besides maybe the Gelato 41 you just mentioned that sort of caught you off guard a bit and you are uh, interested in or fond of, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of things that I are new to me, you could say. And I don't know if anything caught me off surprise like that. Um, you know, I'm kind of particular about what I prefer. I do like the Skunk Dog. I'm, that's kind of new to me. But it's in the same realm as everything else that I, you know, love. Um, oh, and, and I do have a, a, a good cut of uh, Wedding Crasher, a pheno that uh, my partner uh, selected, you know, years ago. And she was kind enough to share with me. And that one's been surprising to me. And I think that would be one that I could, you know, say would answer that question. 
and that it's like it's a mellow it's very smooth it's easy going it's anytime and i'm almost i'm 49 years old and i you know cannabis now that's kind of where i'm at i like smooth easy you know i don't need like the big heavy whack me in the top of the head experience anymore with it i just want you know something that tastes good and makes me feel relaxed you know so i would say that was a surprise to me that's a new one to me um symbiotic genetics i believe created that one and and uh this pheno here is the best i've seen and i'm glad to have it and i i often you know take uh less experienced smokers or older folks who are delving into cannabis and i kind of guide them to that and i said you know it's got a nice grape flavor to it you can't you know complain about the flavor and it's not a big commitment when you smoke which i think you know you have to be careful you know like not everybody wants you comes to the door wants a you know the strongest weed you got you know what i mean and so that that one is i think that would be one that was a surprise to me you know yeah great answer i wasn't expecting to hear that while we're on the topic what have you been smoking on lately what's the sort of things if i asked you at the end of the day what have you been puffing on what things are your go-to um well the wedding crasher is a good one for me and i'm always smoking on tits uh, I really do like the uh, red Lebanese hash plant. That's my go-to at night. That's my nighttime. Let's go to bed. I like. I have a lot of uh, you know body pains. You know, working my whole life, doing too much. So I have some body pain. So I like to. I tend to always fall towards the indicas. Um, but you know, I try to have a little bit of everything. I try to try a little, uh, different things. I've been pleasantly surprised with um let's see what are we looking at uh, of course i love the durban thai high flyer so that would be my daytime thing but crossroad chem is still my favorite and i know it sounds kind of cuckoo because i made it but i love it i like weed that's perfectly right down the middle i like hybrids that are perfectly right down the middle anytime herb. and that one hits that box big time it's got good flavor you can smoke anytime it's just going to get you happier and more relaxed and more you know engaged in what you're doing it doesn't matter if you're going to the bank if you're taking the kids to the park if you're walking your dog it's good for everything so it's always my go-to and it's my most popular strain nice one and you just mentioned the derv and tie high flyer i wanted to ask you because you find that with a lot of breeders they tend to sort of stick to one lane like maybe they're more into indicas and they just sort of do indica stuff but you do tend to with both within your dispensary and within your seeds offer a bit of a mix of sativa and indica offerings what in your opinion is your most sativa seed offering seed offering um hmm. it probably would be um i don't know it's kind of a toss-up i mean the chaska is probably my most sativa like uh strain that i offer in seed form um but I would say that one. I would say that, but the Chaska. Um, you know, we've done the Russell. So yeah, I would. I would also add to the Chemflyer. That what I liked about the Chemflyer. So I'm not really. You know, I probably have less experience with pure sativas, as you say, than most people you talk to. It just wasn't my lane when I was younger. But I think as most cannabis users who you know, or as we're aging, we find out that this changes over time. And I have really fallen in love with a nice sativa. I like the, 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 the lack of appetite. I like the energetic part of it. What I didn't like when I was younger was the anxiety it brought on to me. And so I would say that the Chem Flyer, the cross I made with the Durban Thai High Flyer, the cross with the Chem 91 BX3, 
male it's it's got that for me it gives me the energy it wakes me up it wants it's great with coffee i want to go out and do stuff but i never feel jittery i don't feel my heart racing i don't feel like all these things that i don't like about that type of herb and so i really enjoy that and i love that sharp pineapple flavor i mean who doesn't love that you know it's unique you can't say it's fruity you can't say it's gassy it's sharp you know astringent and i love that flavor so as long as I don't get like caught up in too much thought, crippled with too much thought, or you know, just anxiety, borderline. I find that to be really uncomfortable for me. I think a lot of people agree, and so that's kind of it. I the, I would say the Kim Flyer and the Russell, but the Chaska is definitely the most whoa, you know, energetic. You know, I prefer. I've had a lot of Kim Fuego Finos over the over the course of uh, testing those out. They gave me that, that, that experience where I felt inspired, creative, you know, energetic, the things that I think people describe sativa with, but without the jittery, you know. And I don't like the appetite. Uh, I don't like the, um, you know, the Kim dog makes me extremely hungry, you know, and I don't really care for that, you know, because I'm kind of, I succumb to that. I can't really fight that off, you know, so. That's what I like about the sativas. It's, sativas are new to me in a sense. I would say relatively new to me in my perception than most folks. And I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm glad that I'm discovering it at this point in my life, you know. That's awesome to hear. I too am just getting more and more into sativas as each day goes by. So piggybacking on that thought, tell me a little bit about the Russell because it uses a Jack Hera BX2 female. And so I guess the questions that come to mind are, uh, what cutting did you use initially? What male did you pair to it to start the process? And were there anything specifically you wanted to improve on that Jack Herrera clone, I guess? Well, the Jack Herrera is, you know, a legendary cut. It's got the, not just lemon, but the lime flavor to it. And I think that makes it unique. I think there's a lot of grains that have that lemon citrusy flavor and aroma. And I think the Jack Herrera is unique because it, it has that lime as well. And so I like that. I like that. It's like a multi-layered citrus, astringent citrus, and I love that about it. Like I said before, when I started working with, uh, with the, that cut and messing around with what's going to come next, what I noticed was that the vigor wasn't the best on that cut. At least in that moment, it wasn't. I've been growing the jack career for a while, and it's actually, you know, I get big yields out of it, so maybe I just didn't have it dialed in, but what I felt was that the, the, the production was a little on the weaker side. And I wanted to improve that, you know. So I did use the BX2 in the first outcross, and then I crossed it back and made the BX2, the Jack Herrera BX2. The goal was to keep the terps, keep the, that lemon-lime flavor, keep, of course, keep that, you know, high-powered sativa feeling that you, many of us feel when they smoke. Um, but I wanted bigger yields, more vigor, which is, you know, at the very top of my list. You know, that's one of the higher parts of, you know, character traits that I'm always breeding for is vigor. I want the end user to have the experience of like, look what I did over here with this particular plant, you know, because I know what it feels like and I appreciate that. And, you know, you know, when you're a home grower and you've got a 10 or a small grow, you may be, and this is changing, of course, but maybe your environment's not 100% perfect. Maybe it's difficult for you to do that. Maybe you live in a state where it's very difficult to create the perfect environment just for safety reasons. And so I'm always thinking about that human, that man or that woman, um, and that I want them to have the experience of, like, success, you know, 
that they pulled something off. Because that, when you're growing cannabis, I think that's one of the most rewarding parts of it is that, wow, look what I can do. I can do this, you know? And I, you know, why I like that is because that, I feel like that translates into other parts of your life. You know, you can empower yourself with all kinds of things you find out that you've been paying other people to do for you and now you can do this, you know? I think that's what makes life better. And so I want my customers to have that experience and I'm trying always to ha let them have that. I'm trying to facilitate that. And so that's why I decided to make the BX2 instead of the Jack Herrera just in the cross. I wanted to see if I can get more vigor. I felt like we did. And uh, we kept the Terps, we kept the, the essential experience of the Jack Herrera and then we just added some punch to it with the chem dog, you know. Yeah, and I, I might have missed it. Did you mention what was the male you used to start the outcross? The Kim DBX2, yeah. Oh, okay. And then at that point when I popped that first generation of F1 seeds, I saw that maybe it would be a good idea to create our own female to work with. And it wasn't really like a big master plan. It was kind of like, look, we're fucking around. And then we found a BX2 that was very Jack Herrera lemon lime, you know, very vigorous and very. And it was like, well, why don't we use this instead of the Jack Herrera? You know, we're allowed to do that. And so that's what I did, you know. Yeah, nice one, nice. And uh, in that same vein, you know, you did the Chasco with the Super Silver Haze BX2. Is that a similar story? Are there any differences with that one? It, it is it's it is a little bit similar but it's also a little bit different there was a i had a cut of super so the, right now i have here at lucky dog cannabis i have the super silver haze as they say 98 cup winner cut and it's the most i would say it's the most uh you know common cut that you see and uh you know but i had a cut in the early 2000s that was in my opinion better a super silver haze it was hmm, it was, it grew, it had more of like a, the structure was more like a cookie structure. It had like the, the, the like tighter nugs as you go up the stick, you know. It wasn't like the big cola that you get with the super silver haze, you know, with a shorter plant. And it stretched a little bit more. So I uh, actually, I, I kind of accidentally made seeds of that by accident a long time ago. Um, I would like to tell you what the mail was, but uh, I can't really recall because I did this in like 2006. So I had those seeds in storage, and I got the cut of the 98 cup, the one that's common nowadays. And, of course, they smelled almost identical. Uh, the smoke uh, effect was almost identical. But I just really liked the way the other one tasted better, and I liked the way the plant overall looked better, you know. Um, it was really mold-resistant, you know. And like it just, it just, it just was my favorite one, and it's, I had already started the work, kind of, you know, coincidentally, you know, like, so I took that and I selected a, uh, um, a male, and I went back to that, uh, to that, to that lady back then, and they, those seeds have been in storage for a long time, and so when I got this cut, I was hoping it was the same cut, and it wasn't, and so I started popping those, and I found myself a nice female, and I said. You know, we could either use this cut or we could use that seed sling, and that's what I chose to do, hoping that I would get some of that structure. To be honest, though, I don't really feel like I succeeded on that structure part of that cross. I feel like it's, you know, mixed all up. It, do it doesn't seem like it really did, but it's just what I used, and the effect was the same. The flavor was the same. It was just my favorite, so I just went with it, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great answer, and it's cool to hear that it's a bit different from the, the more available one. While we're talking about breeding, uh, I think as of yet, we really only see mostly F1 hybrids being offered. Do you have any interest in doing any lion breeding, or do you feel like you're just happy to be offering F1s? And as a follow-up, how about FEMS? Okay, so I get this question a lot from people when I when I get into deeper conversations about what they're looking for. And I always try to remind folks that there's a place, you know, for everything, you know, uh, for FEMS and and F1s and so on and so forth. And my philosophy is that nature intended for cannabis to be, to survive, the species to survive in the F1 stage, that that's the, the diversity of, you know, provides like the best chance for survival. And of course, you know, we have manipulated nature and survival is really not why why we don't, no one's breeding for survival uh we're breeding for genetic preservation we're breeding for uh vigor we're trying to improve our favorite traits with other favorite traits and that's what i do so i stick with the f1s and i if you know i've made i've made a uh, feminized seeds in the past you know and i would say that i what we do, what i do at lucky dog is this it's really simple we take our favorite cuts and we cross them with our favorite male. And what he does, and we have two different males, but what, what they do is they, the idea was never to like, uh, everything's going to be like Kim now. We're going to take your favorite cut and we're going to cross our male and I'm going to make it so yours is now Kim. That is a failure. And a lot of my trial and error, that's what happened. We kept picking, you know, studs that were a little too dominant. I think most people who breed with Kim Dog can agree that, Kim dog is very dominant, you know, he, she dominates, you know, its partner. And so that can be problematic because that's not what you're trying to do. You know, you're just trying to add a little extra goodness to it. So what we do here is, you know, the F1 generation has a lot of variants, a lot of uh, genetic, you know, traits that you don't see in any, either one of the parents. And so that can be a problem. You know, people don't want to buy a pack of seeds and have 13 different phenos or six different phenos. They want to like they have an idea of what they're looking for before they even look at the pictures they have an idea what they're looking for as soon as they see the cross so the trial and error over here was that you know we we take the stud and we've the way we selected him or way i selected at least i say we but it's just me selected him was to find him find the one that's going to bring the most vigor that's top and add potency um and add some gas flavor some fuel but not overpower the mother you know and furthermore to to keep it limited to say three or four different phenos you know not a million different things and so the way we do that is that's where the testing comes in we make the cross and a lot of times it doesn't work i have a whole dresser drawer full of seeds that i don't feel like worked with crosses favorite cuts um and you know we wanted the testing what we do is of course we're looking for stability we're looking for the vigor, but we're also trying to say, okay, you know, no matter how many we pop, we keep finding the same four phenos roughly, you know, of course there's some variance in that. And if we do that, then we've succeeded. They know what they're looking for. You know, if someone wants to buy Kim Fuego, they know what headband is. They know what sour band or I'm sorry, sour diesel is, and they know what Kim dog is. So they don't want like some oddball, you know, usually, and they're probably going to get one every once in a while. This is F1 generation, but the work's been done. And, you know, we've looked at it and we've said, you know, I would, I would smoke this. I smoke this. I would buy this. I would grow it again. 
And if those boxes get checked and we don't have just Kim Dog, everything turned into Kim Dog, and that would be probably at the top of the list. So that's not what we want. But that work was done when we selected the mail. You know, we don't just pick the most Kim Dog mail. We pick the strongest one that passes on certain traits, the potency, some of the flavor. But once again, you have to be careful because the flavor get, you know, the flavor and aroma can get dominated by Kim Dog, you know. We just want the potency to pass on. And then having a male, a, a, a different male uh, on a female, it creates the F1, and that creates the vigor we're looking for, which gives our customer, the end user, the best success, you know, we think. Yeah, brilliant. I love it because I always say to people that 90% of the time when someone's buying seeds of a regular strain, they're usually buying it because they want the mother. You know, the mother is a clone only. They can't get their hands on it. And so I think that really complements your philosophy in the sense that you're allowing the mother to shine through. One of the questions we got from a lot of our listeners is, are there any um, focal differences you might be able to discuss between the two chem dog males you use? Is, does one bring a certain thing to the table or is it more just about testing and seeing or one happens to work better? That's exactly it. You know, of course, we started off, you know, I started off with the BX2 and, you know, um, but then as I took it further, I started to see that, you know, of course you think, okay, well, the, if we select right with the BX3, it's going to be more of what we're trying to offer, right? That turned out not to be the case. It's more like a, a key and a lock. Some things just work better with others, you know? I don't know. I can't really explain to you why. It's all just, you know, my perception and my observation. I don't really have, like, a master plan behind any of that. But I you know was hoping to get to a point where i had a stud that i can work with you know and i ended up too because um some just work better than others you know um and that's kind of what is reflected in what we offer because you know we keep the bx2 around because it just works better you know for, for instance the dog patch it just works better like bx3 dominated too much and I would say that most people who've, who've experienced Kim dog genetics, Kim family genetics would say, you know, Kim D, what we call Kim D, is much, much, much different than Kim dog, you know. And in fact, I would say that, you know, if you could get a Kim D male, it would help you select a BX3 faster because when you're making a, a back cross, what you're trying to do is you're finally trying to find something that's not related. So it's much easier for you to differentiate the, um, the traits, you know. So if you have you know, plan A and plan B, and plan A is the opposite, polar opposite of plan B, this is the best starting point for making a back cross because your next generation is going to be so much easier for you to select the traits you're actually looking for. Unfortunately, it's not quite that simple, and that's why I keep both around because what I've learned is you can't quite plan out exactly how it's all going to go down and that we, you know, it's better if you just kind of be open-minded and think outside the box and if bx2 works better the bx2 works better and the dog patch is a great example of that um when i tried to use the bx3 uh in hopes to replace the bx2 i found that it was just too dominant in the in the cross and those very different chem d traits weren't coming out and that was definitely not my goal so i think that's a good example of why because, and I don't, I'm not going to tell you how, I'm just, because I, I don't know. I will just tell you what I observed, and that's what I observed. So we have to keep him, because he works better with that. And then, of course, we found that to be true with the Kim sister. You know, what we call the Kim sister these days, you know, the Bundy cut or whatever they call it now. 
And so, you know, those are just two good examples of that, you know. Yeah, great examples. Before we delve into some ChemD and uh, faux ChemDs, I want to ask you, I know you've done some FEMS in the past. Is there any chance we might see them in the future or even more specifically, maybe some S1s? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I realized just right now that I didn't fully answer your question when you when you asked me about, you know, F1s and S1s and feminized and uh, F1 generation. And, and you know, um, so right now I feel from my perspective that uh, feminized seeds are really popular, you know, maybe because they're a better bang for your buck. You know, you get 12, 13 female plants guaranteed for roughly the same price. Makes sense. But I always try to, to kind of remind the consumer customer grower you know they're just basically two different tools they're two different approaches to a situation f1s we're not really preserving the genetics you know we're not preserving mom or not preserving you know one of the two plants in the cross um, i would say that for feminized seeds of course having all females can be very useful to some folks especially when they live in a state that doesn't have really you know legal cannabis and they have to be careful with their numbers i understand that i can't make a case against that i would support that um but you know if you're a home grower if you're growing your own cannabis which is always someone who's on my mind when i do any kind of work is um is that you know you want success and you know you can have success with s1s and feminized seeds of course you can but you're gonna have a higher rate of of just yield you know getting a jar of flour to smoke for you know several months which is what you might need with an f1 cross you know so i just try to remind people that like you know they have they each have their place and i would say that you know feminized seeds s1s you know they, they're more geared in my opinion towards if you know exactly what you want you know you're not really interested in any kind of variation and you're in other words like genetic preservation so to speak and so you know with the with the regular seeds f1s f2s we're making f2s now too they those are going to be that's what you're going to get if you want genetic preservation if you know you want this and you maybe you want to buy a couple hundred of those feminized seeds and kind of go through them over the course of a few years and find exactly what you want and so yes we have made feminized seeds in the i've made feminized seeds in the past and i'm getting ready to make another round uh, i'm going to be using the crossroad chem and we're going to basically cross it to all of my favorite cuts and test them out and see how people like them and then yes there'll be an s uh you know a crossroad chem s1 in there too Ooh la la so much different angles to go off there i guess the the question i've been asked a few times by some listeners is you just mentioned the Crossroad Chems. Are you able to tell us a little bit about that one specifically, what it's like, what maybe sort of traits it would bring to a cross and how it differs from the Chem Crush? Because I think people get a bit confused because they notice they have the same lineages. So how are they different and what do you like about the Crossroad Chem? Right. So the Crossroad Chem and the Chem Crush are both Chem 91 females crossed with a uh, San Fernando Valley OG Kush BX2. BX2 came from uh, Shade Bud from 707 Seed Bank, a top-notch breeder, one of the best out there, maybe not the well, most well-known, but definitely someone who's been doing work for a long time. Uh, I know him because I gave him the Kim 91 in, I think, circa 2006, which, you know, he kind of took it up to Arcata and gave it to all those guys up in the Emerald Triangle. 
Um, and it was all chance. You know, it was like a random moment where it was like, this guy, you know, we should hand, I should hand him the cut, you know, like he's going to do some good things with it. And it just was one of those inspirational things. In other words, this was the plant speaking at the moment, you know. And so I did. And so that, you know, years later, we lost contact. And, you know, as we all do out here in the, the gutters of America. And so, like, I ran back into him, and he had a bunch of seeds he'd been trying to give me a long time. And so I went through a few of them. And a lot of them, I think, were kind of getting old. And, you know, I uh, probably have a bunch left. They weren't really, like, great germination rates, I think, because they were old. And, but I did find the male that I used in that cross. And so when I made the cross, I, I popped a bunch of those seeds, and I found that I had two distinct phenos that I found that I could not decide between. And that would be, you know, they're both phenos of that. And so, you know, the Kim Crush is more of like a Kim dog pheno, whereas the, uh, the Crossroad Kim is more of a cushy, more balanced, more cottony. I don't know how to explain it. And I just couldn't decide between the two. So I went with both, you know. And I get that question a lot, and sometimes I'm like, geez, I shouldn't have done that, you know. Because <laughs> it's just hard to it's hard to express it's hard to kind of um hard kind of hard to like express to people that um and so but that's that's basically the difference you know they're both standalones they're they are sisters you know and it's just that i couldn't decide between the two i noticed that one was distinctly more kim and the other was distinctly more kush and so i said fuck it let's just use them both you know perfect so it's been a minute since we've spoken and in that time Lucky Dog Seed Co. has flourished and had a lot of success with a lot of uh, strains that have you know, quite, quite a strong cult following. So I think we're going to have to drill into a few of them. And the first one that comes to mind for me is the Hunza Valley. And I think the reason for that is um, you know, it's a combination of like the Skelly and the Chem and there's not a ton of Skelly crosses out there and people are really interested in it. Why do you think the Hunza Valley has got a cult following? And how would you describe it to anyone if they're interested in sort of hearing your description of it? Well, I would say that uh, why I feel like it's been popular is the same reason I love it. I think those terps are so unique. The burnt rubber, the fresh tennis ball can, you know, all the things people describe about it. And I'm big on indica. I got body pains and I love something that relaxes my muscle. Um, I fell in love with the Skelly when I obtained it, and uh, I w couldn't wait to make a cross with it. I wanted to make something. The Skelly is notoriously difficult to grow. It's you won't see it in a shop like this because it's it's not a producer. Um, it's extremely you know botrytis uh, resistant. You know, even though it's got that wet, greasy uh, you know trichome, not sandy, not dry, and it really it is it's just perfect for me i love the smoke but you know and that's and that's kind of it right there like when you find a plant a clone only that's difficult to not only obtain but also to produce grow then but you love it it could be frustrating because you want to share it with the world you know like um so that was the motivation behind making the hunza valley and uh you know um i feel like the hunza valley passes on most of those traits the skelly's very dominant in that cross i would say it's not it's you won't find a lot of chem doggy stuff in those you're going to find more indica skelly burnt rubber tennis ball you know heavy duty indica you know phenos when you pop those seeds 
and I'm really happy with it. Um, and I'm glad people enjoy it because it's one of my favorites that I have for sure. Um, I actually hate to say it out loud, but I like the Hunza Valley more than the Skelly, the Finos that I've grown. They were consistent, they were stable, and they were fun to grow. They had a little bit more stretch than the Skelly, which I think is useful to, um, you know, for end users. The uh, Skelly's, you know, complicated, you know. Even though it's pretty durable, pretty, you know, um, it's, uh, I guess durable would be my the word. It's, it's, it's hard to screw it up. But it's just, you know, the fact that it's so short and squat, it's like you have to know how to grow it, you know. The Hunza Valley gives you a little bit more, a little bit more flexibility. Mm, a safety net. Yeah, it gives you a little bit more stretch, a little bit more air can get through. And so um, that's kind of it, you know. I just wanted to share that cut with the world as I discovered it. And the Hunza Valley allowed me to do that, you know. It just was one of those, it's one of the crosses that just really worked out, you know, like instantly. You know, not a lot of thought, not a lot of, ha not a lot of, testing had to go on it just worked you know so hell yeah what a great answer and definitely one of the ones i've been eyeing off myself i've got to ask you because it's been on my mind for years there are whispers that some people including myself have been partial to the idea that maybe skelly has got some relation to the chem dog do you think that and as a follow-up at the bare minimum do you see any similarities in the flavor hmm I've heard that, and I've even I even mentioned that on the back of the pack that that, that people have mentioned that. Um, I don't know if it's true. I mean, of course, there's no way to know. I don't know how we would figure that out. Um, they definitely both have crossed Leadville, Colorado, um, for sure. And so, you know, the Super Skunk was there. Leadville, Colorado. You know, I've only snowboarded there over the years, and maybe I spent the night at someone's house on the way to see some you know grateful daddy stuff in the denver area but besides that you know um i can't say i don't think i feel like i see a direct resemblance especially when you take into consideration the northern lights the nl1 because that one seems to be more like when you ask me where what traits do i see outside of kim dog that are kim doggy i would say that's uh, from my memory that would be the one the skelly I, I can only say that because people who are closer to that cut, the puck, have mentioned it, you know. I wouldn't say that's impossible, you know. I would say maybe if you took Kim D and set it next to its sister, the Kim dog, and then you took Skelly and you set it next to the Kim dog, you would probably say the Skelly had more resemblance, you know. That's what I would say. Um, so... I, I don't really know, you know, and I don't like to speculate on those things because there's so much diversity in cannabis. As soon as you think you can identify traits uh, on different strains, you know, you find out there is no resemblance. There is no actual, not resemblance, but no uh, relation, you know. It can surprise you, and it does often. So I don't know, you know. I just know that that's what folks from the Leadville area at that circa 1989-ish, you know, said, so... Yeah, well, look, while we're on the topic of Leadville and the infamous Joe brand, the, the Chem brand has gained a lot of popularity. And I guess for a lot of people, they may think of it as like sort of a pure Chem line in a sense. Is that how you would describe it? Or do you think they're actually getting a little something different than two Chem dogs crossed together, so to speak? Oh, 100%. The JB cut, as I call it, and I, I think that you, you would Bodhi coined that uh, name for it, which is... I love. 
Um, we were familiar with the JB Cut before it was called the JB Cut in Sonoma County. Uh, in Sonoma County, honestly, over most of the last couple decades, we weren't that concerned about names. We were more concerned about what customers wanted, and it was on scale, large scale. And it was always OG Cushes, and it was always Sour Diesel. And no matter what else came through, those were the ones that always were getting asked about. So we had this cut, and I honestly cannot tell you where it came from, but we used to call it the, uh, a Sour Diesel. Most of the people called it a Sour Diesel in my little circle. And, of course, it's not the Sour Diesel, but it was very similar to it. But the distinction was tighter nugs, heavier nugs, shorter squatter plant. But it had every bit of that smell that the Sour Diesel is known for. And so we called it a Sour Diesel, or some of us called it a Sour Diesel IBL. And I'm not really sure, like, where that originated from. I'm not sure if it's actually that. That's just what people f called. And so we were growing and cropping that out uh, at scale um, before, you know, I even knew who Joe Brand was, you know, before I even heard of who he was, to be honest, you know. Um, I didn't get a... I didn't come across Kim Dog cuts, uh, the Kim Dog or the Kim D or any of the Kim family. I didn't come from, I didn't get that from any of the Kim Dog family, you know. I got her outside of that, you know, coincidentally, as I mentioned before. Okay, so, yeah, so then, you know, that cut was with us. And what happened was, it's really a cute story, actually. So what happened was I was uh, going through a divorce uh, at the time. I had a home in Oakland I was working in. I had a home in Sebastopol I was working in. Actually, I had two homes in Sebastopol, California that I was working in. So that's about an hour difference drive. I was also a, an apprentice, an electrical worker apprentice at the time. And I was working a lot. And there's always a lot of commuting and construction. Um, my ex-wife wanted me to get a real job. Um, at some point because cannabis wasn't a real job, I guess. I mean, there's always risk with cannabis, and, you know, she felt that it, the danger was affecting, you know, our family's, say, you know, security and happiness and just kind of our day-to-day. -day. So I succumbed, and I became a, an apprentice in, a, in the electrical industry with the IBEW. And so I was working a lot, and I had a partner in Oakland that we were, he was living there, and I was living there half-time. We had a basement full of herb. And one day he approached me um, and said, uh, hey, uh, there's this guy named Joe Brand. And he, um, the guy who popped the Kim Dog seed, G, um, asked if we wouldn't mind giving him a cut of the Kim Dog 91. And I didn't know any of the story. I, and I, so he told me the story. And I was like, oh, that's, that's an interesting story. I'd never actually, this is 2006, mind you. I'd never actually heard about all the stuff that happened at Deer Creek. And it's odd. It's kind of weird to think about, but it's true. I wasn't really privy to that stuff. My experience with Kim Dog, you know, was outside of that. It had nothing to do with those folks, you know. That's just the way it is, you know. And so, you know, and he explained to me. And I said, well, yeah, of course, sure. You know, like, that's kind of cool. You know, he's, you know, explained to me that the guy was kind of, you know, all these people, of course, were out of contact with each other. It was all chance meetings. And then here we are in 2006, I think it was 2006, 2005, where we all, where, where a lot of these folks could get in contact with each other. And, I, you know, I appreciated that, you know, even though I wasn't part of that, I appreciated that. And so I said, yeah, sure. You know, I think we have some cuttings in the basement that are rooting. And, you know, he had to ask me for my permission. There, you know, I had a lock on that cut. So I said, yeah, sure. 
And then I went to work in Napa, and I was working at the Napa High School doing the lighting there, you know, looked good. And, uh, you know, so I said, yeah, sure. Well, a uh, little backstory. So my roommate at the time was, and I've known him for a long time, you know, like we used to be very close, and we've known each other since the Grateful Dead days, and, you know, that's our history. There's a lot of nostalgia, yada, yada. So, um, and he's a chem head, you know, he loves it, and he gets it, and he actually knew G. You know, and that's why they were able to talk. They actually met each other on the East Coast. They kind of grew up in the same area in the Northeast. And so, um, you know, I agreed. And, uh, and I, you know, I just went to sleep and woke up, went to work the next day. Well, what had been going on in the background is that my roommate was selling packs of uh, Chem 91 that he was getting from another grower in our area. And I, and I was surprised by that because I know the guy and he asked me for the cut. And I said, no, of course. And, uh, and it appeared, according to my roommate, that he had obtained a cut somehow. And I was curious about, like, how is that possible? Wasn't really, you know, didn't have a time or energy to e even really give a damn, but I was curious. And every night I would come home from work, and, uh, and I would see turkey bags of what he was saying was Chem 91. Now, as far as I'm concerned, he should know what Chem 91 is, right? He it's his favorite you know all of us are like chem dog heads in my little circle and he's certainly in that you know and so you know that was that and so i came home from work the next day and i said did your buddy come over he's like he did i said did you give him a cut because i went down to the basement i don't see any cuts going on anywhere he goes well i was over at my homie's house who i've been getting these packs of chem 91 from and he had a rooted cutting right then and there and i said hey you know i i think i got you know skunk va's permission but let, let me just go ahead and grab one you got a nice healthy rooted one here and he was picking up some packs of chem 91 i think and so that's how he got it and then he passed it to jb and so that's that and well i came home from work and he told me that and i said huh and i was like i'm still very curious about this chem 91 cut that i had you know why would they ask me if they already got it right and he was opening up turkey bags right that moment and i was in the dining room and he was in the kind of a darkened living room and uh um and he's like I, I said is that that chem 91 that you've been you know kind of rocking the last few weeks packs he said yeah i said that's not chem 91 he goes what he goes you're you know in another room how could you? i said you should know better than that look at that i can see from here it's not chem 91 so i walked in the room i took the bud from his hand the one he was smelling i smelled it and I threw it back in the bag. I said, you should know better. That's not Kim 91. And then his eyes got big as, you know, headlights. And then he was like, oh, my God. I said, I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, so that's the cut you gave that guy that you asked me about? He said, it sure is. And his jaw hit the floor. And, you know, I don't know what to say about all that. I mean, you know, like, it's funny, like, the uh, power of suggestion, I think, is very strong, you know with any of us and so that, i think that's what a, a good case of that you know and so like i said i had already been familiar with that particular cut we had been rocking it for a while and we rocked it along you know after that separate from this partnership that i'm describing to you and you know it just kind of like i didn't really think much of it and then later on um i had uh maybe i don't remember what happened to the one i had the cut of the 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 sour diesel ibl but i just kind of went away somehow i don't remember um and years later someone you know it became i heard that there was a cross that bodie had made of the chem 91 
But he had started to call the mother the JB cut, the Chem 91 JB cut, a Joe Brand cut. And I was like, oh, that's the same thing. And then I got the cut. Someone on the East Coast uh, who prefers to stay, in, you know, anonymous, he, he sent me the cut, and it was the same fucking cut. It was the same one that we used to rock. And we used to really get good yields from it. And so, you know, he had, then Bodie had kind of coined the phrase JB cut, which I, I love that, you know what I mean? I think it's great. Because that happened in my, ba- my house, you know what I mean? And I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> so I couldn't wait to get my hands on it. I always wanted to make a cross with it. I love sour diesel. I love Kim Dog. It's just a little bit stronger, vigorous, you know, version of sour diesel, but it has all that stuff in there. And so, you know, when I got it, I couldn't wait to make a cross with it. And luckily, it came out, and it's not Kim Dog on Kim Dog because it's not Kim Dog on Kim Dog. It's very unique. It's one of my favorite crosses that I've made to smoke, to grow out. It's easy to grow, easy to smoke, and it just punches you in the face. It's great. You know what I mean? So that's the story on it. Hell yeah, it's one that's piqued my interest just hearing that. And in a question or two uh, before, you mentioned the old NLs and how the cam does remind you of that. I'd be interested to hear, you know, we've seen a bit of a resurgence of NLs, both in terms of some seed offerings, but even just other breeders talking about how they would love to get some of those NL lines they tried in their youth back into the stable. Do you have any fond memories of NLs? Have you ever wanted to explore that realm at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um when I was a young man in, in Virginia, um, I got, uh, as, as a 17-year-old, a minor, which is kind of a key to my life, that I was a minor, I got in trouble. I got in big trouble. I got in trouble for possession and distribution of LSD. And, uh, you know, it, 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 they wanted to charge me as an adult. And uh, well, I had to jump through a lot of hoops to not be charged as an adult. You know, I had a good friend who was 18 that night who got set up by the same snitch and uh, uh and so he actually had a very different outcome because he was 18 and i had gotten in trouble when i was 17 probably about five months before i turned 18 i'm thinking you know roughly yeah and um but they still wanted to charge me as adult this is heyday drug war 1990 i think yeah and um you know very very aggressive law enforcement very aggressive like war on drugs in virginia you know especially and they were gonna like maybe he got 18 years suspended for 18 years to give you a comparison whereas i had an opportunity to not really do any jail time or not really do much jail time as a minor or do maybe some hard time five or six years is what they were saying and, you know, they were talking about putting a 17-year-old in a, in, in a cage with grown men, you know. It's not, I don't, I, I could never imagine a crime to where a child, even, you know, a, someone who's about to become an adult should belong in a cage with, you know, adults. It's just, it, you're guaranteeing, you're, you know, destroying that person's future. And so my attorney, which was like a court-appointed attorney, unfortunately, because we were poor ass, um, you know, fought hard for me to make sure that didn't happen, understanding that that was going to negatively impact my life forever. So, um, so back then, we had, in Virginia, we had the Super Skunk. We had NL, which turned out to be NL1, I believe. And we had the Nigerian. We called the Nige. We had the Afghani, a couple different Afghanis. These were all, like, stuff you would find in the seed catalogs you know these this is stuff that became the legend of cannabis you know like we were right at ground zero i don't know how but we were 
Um, Beatrix Choice, of course, I've talked to you about that one before. Um, so those were the ones. And so it had a hierarchy. You could find Nigerian easier, Nige quicker, Afghan quicker. And that's just what we called it. There was obviously more to the name, names than that. That's just what we called it. That's all I got in my memory. And then, then the harder ones would be, and then the super skunk, and then you'd get to uh, the NL. And then, of course, the Beatrix Choice was the, the holy grail, the hardest to find. But these were roughly the strains that we could find. And they were primo. They were the best. I mean, this is what makes a young, you know, person fall in love with cannabis, you know. And so the Northern Light, so I was on probation from that charge, right? My guy sent me to, he said, you're going to have to go to a rehab, which was pretty vogue back in the late 80s, early 90s. And you're going to have, and you know, you're going to have to, you know, be, you're going to have to play the part. You were addicted to marijuana and you were addicted to LSD. You were addicted to psilocybin. That's your story. You're going to stick to it. You're going to fucking beat it with a drum. This is going to save your life. And he convinced me as a young man. So I did. And it was an interesting experience. Um, that's where I met the man who became, and to this day is my mentor, who made the super skunk, as we know it, the F2. The, the number six is a lot of these, uh, you know, people out here call it who, you know, want to know somebody and so we uh you know he approached me at one of these na meetings and he uh he handed me a grateful dead tape now he's an adult and i'm in a minor in a facility where people are coming off the street for a, an na meeting you know and uh we were forced as the minors to go to this of course it's part of the program fine and he knew that we weren't allowed to have anything to do with grateful dead grateful dead music or paraphernalia meaning like t-shirts you know signias symbology it was all considered um drug paraphernalia not allowed right so as a minor in this place you're a child you're not allowed to have a grateful dead bootleg tape so i'm at this meeting this is what i'm doing to try to save my life according to my attorney mind you and so i'm at it I'm at, i go up you know as anyone who's ever been to these things know that coffee is the big thing so I'm at the thing, getting the coffee. It's 7 p.m. at night. You got people on the street, people off the street. You got the adults who are impatient there, and they're um, they're not allowed to talk to the minors. Like it can be a big problem for them. You know, they can get kicked out of the program. But then I'm at the coffee thing, and a man taps on my shoulder, and he said, "Don't turn around." So I didn't turn around, and he handed me a Grateful Dead tape. He goes, "I hear you youngins aren't allowed to have these." And I said, "No, we're not." And he goes, "Well, here you go." And I shoved it down my pants. That turned out to be the guy who made the, the F2, the super skunk, my mentor. It was kind of a chance thing, you know, that's how I met him. But uh, um, so when I was on, after I got out, I was on probate. I went through my case. I became on probation. I had to quit smoking. Um, I had to stay in town. It was very strict. You know, I had to have, be known where I was at all the time. And so I remember we went up to some friends of mine. And everyone was on board. They were like, if you smoke, you're going to go to prison. And so don't smoke. And I said, well, you know, what am I not going to hang out? Like, what are we doing here? And they're like, we're going to help you with this. I mean, it was, wasn't really stated, but it was kind of loosely stated that we're just not going to smoke around him, you know, JK, that's me. And we're just going to help him not hurt his own self. So that's what it was. But, however, at the end of this period of time in probation, I was, you know, all my friends, my circles were heading up to Boston, to the Boston Gardens to see the Grateful Dead there. In 1991, it would have been at this point. And so I convinced them to let me go, even though that was, you know, could have been dangerous for me as far as my probation goes. 
and this is serious like people hear probation now it was different back then like this was just a simple procedure to get you in prison you know this was a way around and so it was more serious in my opinion and so we get up to boston and we go to the show and i i'm a good boy i take a little acid but i don't smoke any weed my friends are keeping it away from me to a degree watching out for me doing you know being good friends and then after the show we all pile into a car it was six of us and all i can do is smell the fucking bag of weed in someone's pocket and i can't help myself i'm like can i just look at it y'all you know show me the bag i, I know that smell let's just see it's that the northern lights you know and they won't say a word you know because they know that once that domino guts starts to fall all of them are going to fall well on the way to the hotel from the show some guy took a little too much too fast and took all of his clothes off as they sometimes do at those events and you know he was having a psychedelic experience it was getting a little too intense for the default world and so he was surrounded by boston's finest you know law the, the, the law enforcement and we all had to wait for this whole movie to to unfold as we're trying to just get to the hotel we're exhausted and i'm sitting in the car for an hour and a half smelling this bag of weed that no one will show me it's driving me insane and so we get to the hotel and i say listen I'm smoking that damn joint. I don't give a damn what anyone says. No one's going to stop me. I don't, the consequences are mine and mine alone, and I appreciate you. It's not your fault. But when you roll that, and they did, they roll that eighth, that $50 eighth of Northern Lights, that sticky, icky, gooky, mm, goodness, into a $50 <laughs> fucking joint with a club, a nice wrap. And it was a beautiful joint. I can picture it in my mind right now. And we smoked that motherfucker. It was the first <laughs> time I'd smoked in a whole year. And everyone passed out almost immediately. But when you haven't smoked weed in that long and your tolerance down, it's a much different effect, as we all know. And I turned on that Kung Fu theater, and I laughed my fucking ass off until I practically pissed my pants, tears streaming down my eyes. <laughs> it was probably the best joint I ever smoked in my life. <laughs> and I had smoked it before. It was the Northern Lights, as we called it. And I asked them, I was like, where'd y'all get this? And they said, well, we got it here in the parking lot, but the parking lot was flooded. And you know whose weed this is. And we don't really know the guy's name, but we knew it was from Virginia. And they said, I was like, this is from Richmond, right? And they said, yeah, sure enough is. It was everywhere. They, they started opening up to me about it. Now that it's too late. And they told me all about it, you know. And they're like, it is better than ever. And, you know, yeah, let's smoke it. So we did. And so that's, that's my memory of it. It'll stick with me forever. Of course, I had memories of it before because we used to smoke it, but that was so significant in my life, you know, because it was exciting, you know. I was once again breaking the fucking law, and, you know, rightfully so. So I smoked that joint, and luckily I got off probation within 30 days. I was already on, when I got off probation, I was already on Jerry Garcia's band's uh, East Coast tour, which was, you know, <laughs> you know, amazing. <laughs> and so, you know, that was it, and I... I and I never got drug tested again. I went back to my final probation uh, meeting. And I didn't get tested, and I was grateful for that. And that was that, you know. That's brilliant. And so obviously you've had this very memorable and impactful experience with the NL1. Recently we hear a lot of chat about the NL5 making a resurgence from a few different seed sources. You've got um, Matt and Caleb who have done theirs. You've got Todd McCormick. Has the NL5 ever held a similar reminiscent spot in your mind, or was it really just that NL1? It was just that NL1. It was, and we just do it as NL, Northern Lights, you know. Um, only, I, and I'm, st I'm speculating when I call it NL1, based on what I've seen since then. Um, it's one of the holy grails in my world, 
And so, like, the, that particular cut, you know. Um, but the ones that I've seen that uh, folks have been kind of working with maybe since then, it's a little convoluted to me, like, exactly, you know, where did it come from? How did it get there? Is it the same cut? I don't know. But the similarity is there, and it's clear. And so I, I go with it, you know. And uh, the NL5 is not, it's, it's not my, it's not quite, it, in my, this is my perception. When you had that Northern Lights, let's just call it Northern Lights because that's what we called it back then. Let's be accurate. When you had that, to go to the NL5, it's just not the same, you know. It's got a similar name, but it's a much different pheno, you know. And so, like, it's just not in that avenue of, that I fell in love with, just to be truthful, you know. So, yeah, it's more common, and maybe that's skewed my perception a little bit, too, because I love, like, the rarities of some cuts, you know. Like, I'm drawn to the rarity of things, you know, like, how did it make it this far? But ultimately, the experience when you smoke it, that's what, what it is, and I just can't compare the two. I don't feel like they're even in the same ballpark. That's just my opinion, you know. Sure. And I, I've got uh, – Matt was nice enough to send me some of those seeds that you're speaking of, and I, I can't wait to go through them, but I haven't yet. Yeah, nice. That'll be cool to see what comes out of that. And, I mean, in that same vein, we've seen some Skunk One seeds pop their head out as well as some original Haze. Do either of those ones hold a spot in your mind or you just didn't really get exposed to them? Original Haze would be out of my wheelhouse. and But when it comes to Skunk, that's right in my wheelhouse. And I hate to tell you all, it's not there. We don't have it. It's gone, at least from my perception Everyone's got a different opinion about it. We can fight about it if you want, but I've been around a long time, and I know what skunk smells like, and I think we all do. If you live in North America, you know what a skunk smells like. So if you don't smell that when you smell the weed, be careful calling it skunk, because we all know what a skunk smells like. It's not, it's not like, you know, uh, uh, gardenia. Do you know what a gardenia smells like? Sure. Me too, but not everybody does. But everyone knows what a skunk smells like, right? And so if we don't smell that, let's be honest with ourselves, okay? You know? So, and yeah, it, you know, that sounds horrible to say, but it's true. We have to be honest. And, like, that smell that the super skunk had, that was what they called. We didn't call it roadkill skunk. I was right in the middle of all this stuff. We didn't call it that. You can call it that now. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's accurate. But that, that name comes from modern times. It doesn't come from back in the late 80s, early 90s, right? You know, skunk was. It was just skunk, you know? And so, like, you know, grower, gr real growers in Virginia, the ones that really put it all on the line back then, the ones that really did what they wanted to do in spite of United States laws, Virginia state laws, draconian drug laws, those are the guys that were growing it. And what worse strain to grow than super skunk or skunk one, basic skunk? What would be worse for you to grow in a place that, you know, there's no such thing as a carbon filter, remind you. So what did they do? They'd take that dead skunk that they found on the highway that they scooped up and put in a garbage bag and they'd throw it in front of their fucking house until the, someone came and cleaned it up and then they'd go get another one until, you know, until their house didn't smell exactly like that skunk. And the reason they did that is because that smell was so similar to that dead skunk that, you know, it worked, right? Well, we all know what skunk smells like and, like, we have to be honest with ourselves when we describe things and each other. It's just not around anymore. I don't know why, but it's not around, you know? Sure. Well, look, I guess that answered my next question, which was going to be, do you have any leads on the super skunk? But I guess as a, if we zoom out a bit, there has been a bit of discussion in the community around the uh, super skunk that is passed around and whether the mass super skunk, as we call it, 
was the same as the original one that you first had. What's your thoughts on that? My thoughts are my experience, and my experience is this. Um, so we, you call him Staten Island, but we were very, uh, we we're, he's my mentor, my brother, uh, he's someone I love. We've known each other for a long time. He's responsible, he's who I got the chem dog from. He's the one who taught me everything that he knew at the moment. He's the one that I, uh, you know, I kind of linked up with uh, some very private growers in Virginia where they traded super skunk for chem dog and he traded a chem dog for the super skunk. Um, based on all the stories I tell him about, you know, it's like the one that got away, you know, like the super skunk, you've got to check it out. Of course, he had heard of it, but he hadn't seen it. So when he brought it back, you know, he told me that he'd passed it around some other folks in the tri-state area. It didn't matter to me. I'm just a kid, mind you. And, uh, you know, I was just grateful to kind of make the connection or be part of it or just, you know, the joy, like show my friends in Virginia and him that like, I care about this stuff. You know, it's not just, I'm just don't want to smoke the joints. I'm, I want to be, you know, if what I can do to help, you know, like, you know, and it's not like when you're that young, you don't think too much into it. You just do what your role is, you know? And so anyways, you know, and he brought the super skunk back out to uh, Sonoma County where we were at and was very grateful. And that's the way it went. But we did lose it. We did lose it. And I remember the day I have so many details. In my memory. we did lose it. And I want to say, you know, 1998, I think is when it was. It was very early on, you know. Luckily, I'd passed it up to some people in Humboldt County, you know, uh, maybe two or three years before that, um, in 1995-ish, you know, when, when all this happened for me. And so um, there was a, always a possibility we could go get it again. The people I passed it to didn't have it anymore. They had passed it to another guy who was going to give it back to me, right? That never actually happened. So we kind of lost it, you know, and we went on, and that was that, you know, and uh and it's one of the saddest, most regretful things that I've ever experienced in my life is, you know, losing that cut. And so then, you know, fast forward to 2006 when I met G, you know, Kim Dog. Um, I met him because I, and I think I told you before in the previous story, but so I won't get into that. But I, uh, when I went out, you know, I was going to get the Kim Sis, and I mean the real original Kim Sis, and, and, and bring him back some Kim Dog cuts, some healthy, good Kim Dog cuts. So I did. And, um, as I've said before, and so what he ended up giving me was the Kim D and the super skunk, as he put it to me, he got, and I said the super skunk, and I was surprised when he gave it to me because this wasn't part of the deal. And, and he said, yeah, the one that you guys brought up back then, you know, in 1992 or three. And I was like, wow, right on. I didn't know, you know? And so he didn't call it the mass skunk. He didn't call it the MSS. He just called it the super skunk, you know. And so I took it back home, flew it back home to California and grew them out. And, you know, I've told you about the Kim D, whatever. This was, you know, my big hope. I was like, wow, what a bonus. Like, this is going to be great. We had been missing this cut. We gave up on it. We let it go. We mourned over it. You know what I mean? And so um, I grew it out and I immediately noticed the stretch wasn't there. You know, the super skunk has a, I've shown pictures on my Instagram and, you know, I, I've documented what the super skunk was in photo. I mean, as good a photo as you could take in 1995 with a, with a camera. And, um, so, you know, the stretch wasn't there alarming, you know, but there was a little bit of resemblance in the structure. So I went with it 
And then I just kept on waiting for that smell, kept on waiting, and it just never appeared. And in 2006, like as best as I knew, and I want to say that best as we knew, but I'll say as best as I knew, there was a thing called genetic drift, you know? Maybe that's what happened to it. But it was such a painful memory of something that was gone that wasn't it that I just said, you know what? I don't want this cut. I'm going to let it go. I'm not interested in it. It's not it. If, if it is it, it's not the same. I'm letting it go. And that's not like me. I don't let cuts go like that. But I did only after one car. And so that was the end of it. And then, you know, I was kind of like, damn, dude, I didn't even get the Kim Sis, you know, like, what the fuck, you know? So um, then fast forward to, say, 2000, let's just say 18 or 19, I can't say. You know, then, you know, of course, now we're hearing about the mass super skunk. And so uh, someone was kind enough on the East Coast to send me, um, and I don't even, it was almost anonymous, and, but he definitely had the credentials to have the mass super skunk. He's in Massachusetts. He knows all the people and everything. And so I grew it out, and it was the same fucking cut that I got from G in 2006. I immediately recognized it. Doesn't have the skunk terps, doesn't have all the things I love. And, then, you know, I don't even have that cut anymore because it's just, I'm not saying it's a standalone. For some it may, but you have to understand that, like, it just brings up a bad memory for me, you know. It's like a disappointment. No matter how good it is on its own, it's just when you, when you have the perception I have, it's just a disappointment, you know, because, you know, the super skunk was the holy grail. It was one of the best cuts that's ever, you know, been on this planet. And so it's just a bad, you know, kind of memory. So I let it go. Now, I do believe, based on what they've told me there, that at one point that super skunk cut from Virginia was the cut that we're talking about. I can't say for sure. I don't know. You know, I wasn't around for all those decades mm. in their circle, you know. And so, who knows? You know, you'd have to ask them. But to me, it seems like something got mixed up. Because how could that be, you know, the Holy Grail? It, it's, it's just not that great, in my opinion, you know. Yeah. Maybe because of my perception. But still. And I ain't, I'm not trying to dog to cut. Don't, don't send me no hate mail. Just, it's just not my thing. I'm a fucking weirdo, you know. No, that's good to get some clarification from your perspective for sure. And, uh, you know, while we're on the topic of the super skunk and you even referenced Staten Island guy himself, I get tons of people messaging me asking me, you know, was that Weasel? Was it this guy? Do you think he's ever going to pop his head out? Will we ever hear from Staten Island? Just from my perspective, it seems like he played a huge role in the Chemdog story and people are naturally curious. Is it someone the community knows or do you think he'll remain a mystery? The answer is no and yes. No is not part of the you know no he's not someone part of you say part of the community and yes he seems like he's he's not interested in all this he's interested in the work you know um and so you know we've had our falling outs in the past and we've come together as family members do and that's us and i love him with all my heart and he's meant the world to me you know um he was not supposed to do what he did with me you know but he took a chance on me you know, and I appreciate that. But he's a, you know, he, I don't want to say he's private. I don't really necessarily think he is. He's just not interested in all this, you know. He just wants to do the work. And I can't speak for him, but that's all I can tell you, you know. But no, he's none of those people. He knows them all, but he does not, no. <laughs> There's a lot of dudes in the weed industry. Well, what, let's just back it up. I said industry. There's a lot of people who are into cannabis, fine cannabis, who did their work in Staten Island. He's just one of them. You know. <laughs> there you go. I love that. But he knows all the ones you're talking about. Let's just say that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And, you know, and furthermore, like, if, 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 if this was important to him, he's how many opportunities has he had? You know? Lots, right? 
And he, he's never expressed to me that he gives a fuck about any of this. So that's that. There you go. Well, kudos to you, Mr. Staten Island. We're all appreciative. We sure are. I forgot to ask you earlier. You mentioned when you were talking about the strains you would get in um, Virginia that the Afghani was one in the mix. Is that the Virginia Beach Afghani we see nowadays? I don't think so, um, based off memory. Um, the Afghani was honestly a little bit more like the Kim Dog than the Virginia Beach Afghani. But I would get, and, you know, and like we called it the Afghan. That's what we called it. But as anyone knows, none of those seeds were really called Afghan. They were crosses, you know, in this, in that. So we, I, and I can't say which one it was. You know, I yeah. can't say, but I can tell you it came from that seed stock. I can pretty accurately say that. Can't say firsthand, but I would guess hard that it was. But the Virginia Beach Afghani, um, which I have, I, I love it actually. Um, and it's, it's probably not exactly the same. That one had the, the Afghan had a bit more stretch. The Virginia Beach Afghani is pretty squat, you know, typical Afghan highland type of strain um this particular pheno of whatever whichever cross it actually was was a bit more stretchy had a bit more smell had a bit more punch um but it was definitely in the same realm definitely in the same family it's it, no doubt you know yeah killer killer well while we're on the topic of super skunks i want to ask you there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not it's possible that the ChemD is actually just Chem91 crossed to a soup skunk. So the idea is that Chem91 is in fact the mother of ChemD and it's possibly just a super skunk hermon to it, something along those lines. What thoughts come to mind when you hear that immediately? Wheel? My first thought is, does ChemD smell like skunk? <laughs> no. So, you know, the ChemD to me is an anomaly. Like, I don't know where it came from i don't know what it is exactly i can only take what i hear from the people who say they know on face value but i definitely have questions about what i hear i mean i all i can speculate all i can do is speculate and i would say no you know it just doesn't like it's just such an anomaly the kim d it's like outside of all of this it seems to me you know like of course like who am i to say what's what as far as like and i don't mean like the stories i mean like what what is, what is possible in genetics like when you make crosses like what what kind of recess you know re recessive genes can pop out and and create something that smells like trash you know like it just doesn't relate to anything and i don't make any claims i just you know i just have questions probably more than most people do about it, it just doesn't make any sense but i would say no based on what i know of those two cuts you know i've we've we've worked with uh, crosses of super skunk and chem d or Kim Dog, I'm sorry. Mm. Um, and so none of them came out like the Kim D, you know. We had, uh, you know, Staten Island, as you call this human. Uh, we, you know, Super Dog seeds, you know. Yep. It was the first time I'd ever seen weed come from seed, you know, the Super Dog. And it was phenomenal. You know, it had that skunky turp, you know. It had those, those Kim Dog, earthy, piney, just like mm, dripping mm, goodness. But nothing came out like the chem d i'd never smelled anything like the chem d until i smelled the chem d and i could say since then the only things that i have smelled that are like chem d are crosses with made with the chem d dog patch glue right is that that's a chem d cross gmo's got some chem d in it right i think gmo's chem d i think um i think gorilla glue uses a different chem cut 
Well, I'm not really that familiar, but the, I can I grow the GMO here, and I can say, yep, that's it. You know, there's no doubt. You know, we call them trash trips here. You know, we call them fucking disgusting trash trips. And I tell people, say, you're gonna smell this at first. You're not gonna like it. Give it a second, and you're gonna love it. And that's exactly what happens. And I feel like everybody feels this way. It's repulsive yet attractive all at the same time. But it goes in that order. What the fuck? To man, let me smell that again. You know. So I we didn't come across any of those. You know, and I've I've taken down many of those super super dog seed uh, phenos, and you know they were two or three different types of phenos. Um, there wasn't anything like Chem D. I never smelled anything like that in cannabis until I actually smelled the Chem D. Sure. And look, there's a very uh, rigorous discussion around all the various different Chem D cuttings there are. Without delving into, you know, trying to identify them from visuals or whatever, like, why do you think there are so many different Chem D cuts out there? Do you think it just piggybacks off what you said before, where it's just, it's unique, people are looking for their own version, or do you think there's something extra which goes into why we see like i think um matt counted them at one point and there's something like seven different chem d cuts that float around wow i didn't know that um i've heard there's a few different floating around but i didn't know that you know um i only can go to what my i can only base it on my experience with cannabis and what i've heard and combine the two and i would say that most likely cuts got lost and s1s popped up I just don't know. I really don't know. I, I, I try to like not speculate. There's enough of that out there. They don't, I don't think that my speculation needs to be added to the hat. I just don't. And I don't find it to be useful. And I find that speculations usually lead to, um, you know, nope, that's not it. <laughs> you know? So I don't really know. You know, I don't know. I just took, take it on face value. You know? If I wasn't there, then I don't know. And it's just that simple. And then, you know, that allows you for a good night's sleep when you live by this, you know. It's the, you know, the internet detectives who have it all figured out, you know, their version has got it. You know, the, the, the phrase I hear that it always makes me pause is, yeah, that makes sense. Well, how does it make sense, you know? Does it make sense genetically? Like, are you talking about recessive genes? Are you talking about combinations of genetics that make a, a brand new, like, what does it make sense to you? You know, like, how does it make sense? So, like, that phrase makes me pause you know people say it to me all the time they'll be like they'll ask me a question and i'll tell them my experience i'll tell them my life i'll tell them a story about what happened that i was there for and then they'll say that makes sense <laughs> i'm like no it doesn't none of this makes fucking sense to anyone dude <laughs> you know what i mean like how does it make sense to you because people will have biases they have perceptions that they hold on to we all do uh, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, it could be about anything in life, you know, but we all hold on to that and we have to be careful with that because we can add a false narrative to a story that's not even ours to tell. And this happens every day in cannabis, as we know, and I just don't want to do that. I don't need to add to that. My experience is limited, but it's also vast. I've had a lot of experience with some of this stuff, just kind of chance, kind of coincidentally. I'm okay with just sticking with that. I don't need to figure out anything else. I'll let the people, the internet detectives, figure that out, and I'll, you know, enjoy their stories as they come, you know? That's that. I <laughs> like it. Diplomatic. Well, look, while we're on the topic, you mentioned the, um, the super dog, and we're talking about strains from sort of yesteryear. Are there any strains from the Sonoma, Bay Area, Mendo sort of area in that 95 to 2005 period 
that you miss that aren't the super skunk maybe strains that don't get as much of a mention but you do remember like oh that was a good one i kind of wish we had that jeez man my my answer is probably pretty boring to that because we were so delved into our chem dog you know like when i got the sour diesel i, I was like wow look at this you know and it had already been around you know i didn't even get that cut until like let's say 2002 three ish i think you know you know, I, you know, my perception is kind of, you have to understand that, like, I lived in a bubble, you know, like, I wasn't out here in the world, like, hey, man, like, we're, this is what we're doing, you know, we were very private, like, we lived in the old school, by the old school rules, like, we don't talk about this stuff, there's no, you know, now, the, the downside of that was, like, maybe we didn't get introduced to a lot of cuts, but if, but the answer to that question in the Bay Area would have been that super silver haze cut that I mentioned before. That was a standout. It was uh, outside of our lane, outside of our realm, but it was lovely, beautiful, and just amazing smoke. So that would be the first thing that pops to my mind. Um, I mean, of course, you know, like when I discovered OG Kush, I was probably a little bit around that area, era, like 2003. And that may have been a little late in the OG Kush story, right? So to me, in my perspective, in my little bubble, like wow you know this is amazing you know and uh and so that would fall in that category so these answers aren't like sexy they're not fucking fun but they are that's the answer you know like i was just in a bubble like we were just growing super skunk chem dog you know like you know and, and eventually sour diesel but like we were stuck in that you know my little circle no totally understandable if, th if that's what you were working with and it was sort of almost on the forefront in a sense, but because no one really knew how good chem was at that time, it's only now I feel like it's really in the zeitgeist. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, like we or I was diehard. I, I just grow what I like, you know. Like I don't pay attention to the outside noise. I never did to my own detriment, and I mentioned this before. And so, like, I would push, like, and I mean push. I'd be like, check this weed, this, check this chem dog out. And I would get the same response, like, I don't want to look at that. I've already seen it. I'm not interested in it. Do you have any sour diesel or OG Kush? I'm like, geez, man, you know? No, I got a big fucking tub full of this, you know? Check it out. It's amazing. Just look. No, I've already seen it. And it's because they'd already seen the fakes, you know? They've already seen the fake cuts. And it was not just one. It was many, you know? And it was frustrating. It was kind of heartbreaking because my favorite weed wasn't good enough for everybody else anymore, you know? What was? Well, OG Kush and sour diesel. I'm like, well, if you like those, you're going to like this. So that's kind of it you know like i was in a bubble i kept myself there for better or for worse and that's just my perspective you know no it makes sense totally and you mentioned the sour diesel i wanted to quickly ask you this the diesel therapy seems like it's also got quite a cult following it's a bit of a powerhouse in terms of the fan demand what do you think it is about this cross that seems to be grabbing people's attention because i mean i don't know the back end but it seems extremely popular it is. It, it surprised me. And, you know, when you make, uh, you know, if when you decide to make several crosses, you just never know what the what the users are going to like, you know. And that one surprised me a little bit. Um, but it's just, I think what it is, I think Sour Diesel, I, well, I know Sour Diesel, it comes and goes in popularity. And it's very popular right now, you know. Like you can go across the board, you can look at all kinds of stuff that's out there from what I can see that it's very desired right now and it doesn't surprise me it's i mean it's one of the best strains that's ever 
you know, come across the scene. And so I think that's what it is, you know. I don't think it's anything else. I think that's what it is. And the East Coast Sour Diesel is a great representation of what Sour Diesel can be. As far as, like, you know, the way it looks, the way it smells, the effect. Um, and the East Coast Sour Diesel is a little easier to deal with than the, you know, I, I don't I, I dare to say original Sour Diesel because that's probably not even the right way to describe it. But it's, it's a little easier to grow. It's a little shorter, a little stouter, a little stockier. It's a little bit less stretch well it's a lot less stretch really and so that was what made it a good candidate you know of course i'm gonna be i'm always fucking around with sour diesel shit you know i love it you know um but if if i was like uh and i think that kim fuego is gonna give you all the traits that you're gonna look for in sour diesel but maybe because it doesn't have the name up front maybe that's what it is so i think that's what it is i think it's the name you know people are want to you know bring that fuel that diesel that fire you know right back in and so there it is you know 100 percent. look we're gonna have to drill down into some of the strains because in the last chat we did um these weren't really released and so people have accumulated their questions and i guess on the topic of experimenting with new crosses a lot of people are really keen on the tropicana cherry cross you've been posting about and you've also done some hybrids with the apple fritter i guess in general you could say that you're bringing some some new uh genetics into the library making some crosses with some more sort of modern stuff what's been your take on this and, w and what uh crosses have sort of caught your eye i'm trying to expand and kind of get more experience with some of the newer crosses you know or the newer you know hybrids that are out there like the ones you mentioned and I like a lot of them, you know, they're outside of my wheelhouse or outside of my, you know, the things that I like about cannabis, but I'm okay with that. I'm open to it. And so, um, I thought I was being kind of unique making those crosses. And now it looks like a lot of breeders have been working with, especially those two cuts, but I, you know, we've tested them out and we, we you know, our, our testing, you know, we move at a certain pace. We have a flow here. I have a flow. Um, and it might be a little more slower than some, and so we're here. We've tested it out. We really like it. I like it, you know. So we've released them, or we're getting ready to release them. And I'm really happy with them, you know. And I, and I, I get a little bit of pushback from the chem dog heads out there about it. But that's okay, you know. Um, we can't make everyone happy all the time. And, but we want to, like, you know, kind of cross. It's like an opportunity to take the old school and cross it into the new school and kind of show the new school what the old school is all about in a cross, you know, and how things can be improved, especially in the area of potency and also in flavor, I hate to say. And but we've we succeeded there. And so like that's the idea. And maybe we're always a little late to the game. We always have been. Um but we do it right. I do it right. We do it right. And and those two are, are the result of that. And we're going to release them later this month, you know. Ooh, that's exciting. And, I mean, you just referenced the diehard chemheads. And one of the questions I have received a few times over the past few years, probably one you get quite a lot, is will people ever be able to get a pure chem line from you? Maybe like a BX4, a BX5, just straight 91. Well, we did make a BX4 selected. And I and I've mentioned this to folks before. Um, it was he was doing pretty good in the crosses, and he was the one that we were probably going to test a lot of his progeny, his brothers and sisters out, and say, okay, this is the Chem BX that we're going to release. However, 
um, in 2019 in Sonoma County. Uh, most of the county, and I mean literally almost all the county, got evacuated due to fire. Another fucking wildfire fueled by the El Diablo winds. It's his nightmare. And um, during that, of course, when you a, have a genetic library in, you know, full-growing mother state outside of tissue culture, you're going to not be able to leave your home <laughs> unless you want to lose big time. So uh, although the emergency services, sheriff's department, fire department, and others were coming through the area where we were keeping the library, I was keeping the library. When I say we, I mean we, me, you know, but it's a habit. So um, they, we were uh, basically hiding from the emergency services and not evacuating. Now, you know, anybody listening to this should take those wildfires very seriously. Those fires can move very fast. We had a good vantage point, and I had rooted cuttings, you know, in the bathroom of my RV under a skylight just in case we had to go, along with the family photos, you know and the glassware and all the things that matter in life that you cannot replace and so we were ready to go but i wanted to keep my mom's going too well however we did lose the bx4 mail so we have the seed still but i've decided to kind of put that on hold for now um i want to do the feminized project that we talked about and i want to um i have some other crosses that i've made that i'm testing out so for space i'm just leaving that alone I don't really feel like people are going to be getting what they expect. I think the expectations of the BX um, line, released as it is, will be less. Because like I said, I don't, I'm not trying to recreate Dog. I'm not trying to put it in seed. I'm trying, I always was trying to make a stud that I could cross with my favorite females that wasn't going to dominate them. But add potency to them, add flavor to them, add that extra little uh, fuel, you know, chem fuel. And so if you were to grow them out, and I have, like you may, you may, it may, you may feel like you're not getting what you want. You know what I mean? Because my goal was not to recreate Kim Dog and Seed form. So, but to answer your question, yeah, I will be doing that work, but I have to kind of start from where I had started a couple years ago. And then I'm going to have to gear it towards that. And so that's a little bit different work than creating the studs that I've, stu that I've created in order to make the seeds that I make, the F1 hybrids, um, I'm going to have to kind of backtrack a little bit, and there's more work involved than people realize. Like, to take all my BX3 seeds, and I have BX4 seeds too, and just say, this is the BX4, I don't, it's accurate, but it's also, the goal wasn't to get that to the market. The goal was to create a stud that doesn't overpower every female that comes in there. And so, if you were to grow them out, You'd be like, wait a minute, you know? So you have to back it up a little bit, and then you have to reselect for different reasons, and then you can continue the work once you find your selections with that goal in mind, right? And so this is, like, this is a lot more work, you know? This is basically starting over in some ways. Not completely starting over, but maybe going back to the BX3 generation and selecting for different traits, which certainly could happen. And then, you know, maybe taking it in a different direction instead of going back into back cross maybe start to create filial generations that are geared towards that goal which i think is be a better more uh like a, a more um you know like what's the word like it's it that would be a more accurate way of doing it at this point you know like an ibl essentially you know and so this is years and years and years of work you know 
I don't really think that a BX3 or a BX4 chem at this point is really useful to anybody. I don't think it's going to be as great as anyone thinks. You know what I mean? That's basically what I'm saying. I'd rather select brother and sister and move forward that way, you know, from one of the generations. And I haven't begun that work yet. Well, I backed up. I have begun the work, but I haven't, like, narrowed it down. This is big work. You know, this is important work to do what you're asking or what you're suggesting. And so I just haven't, I, I, that's going to take, that's a lifetime, you know. And we, we are not going to do her dirty. We're not going to try to make a quick buck on a BX3. We're not doing that, you know. So that's the answer. We're not going to do that. We're going to probably go a different route. We're going to select from filial generations, F1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way. Wherever it is, that's where it will happen. We're doing the background. Truthfully, we're not really focused on it right now. I'm not focused on it right now. Sure. It's a great and a very comprehensive answer. Very much related, but one I got from two different of our Patreon listeners was sort of in that same vein. They wanted to know, of what's currently available, what do you think best embodies the ChemDog? If someone was saying, look, what's just something that's going to give me a really good idea of what ChemDog is, which strain would you recommend? That's really easy. So it's going to be Gorilla Fume, you know. Um, not by design, but kind of by design. And it's also going to be Double Crush, you know, which, you know, the Road Dog, like we talked about before, is kind of close relative, very close relative. That one's kind of taken over in that realm. But I would say the Double Crush and certainly the Gorilla Fume. The Gorilla Fume, when someone asks me, that's immediately the answer, you know. You're going to find a lot of phenos that are very similar to the Chem Dog, you know. So that's what it is, you know. What I meant by that is that the BX3 is not as Chem Doggy as the Gorilla Fume of the best phenos, you know. So that's the answer. Like the Gorilla Fume, I always tell people, that's Chem Dog in seed form, you know. That's as good as it's going to get, you know. We can probably do better, but, you know, we haven't yet, you know. Sure. And look, just in the last question, you were talking about the different chem dog males you have and playing around with filial breeding. I think you mentioned to me that you've been playing with a, a new male, a, a master Kush hybrid. Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah. So we, we, one of our new, we have a new release coming out. Lucky Dog Seed Co. does, you know, sometime Christmassy, maybe, depending on if we can come up with some names. Um, we're not real good at that. Well, maybe we're good at it, but it takes time. But um, so we have what we have, Grandmaster Kim is our new one. And that's the Master Kush cross with the Kim Dog BX3 male that we're all familiar with. Well, we happen to have made F2s of that as well. So we're not really planning on doing any extra work with that F2 male, the male that we used in the F2. Um, we do have him around still um, for obvious reasons because we want to be at, we are happy with that cross and we want to be able to continue to make it. So we have it for that reason. Will he go to anything else? Will we further work him? I don't really know that. I don't really have a sense that we will, that I will. We just, you know, we wanted to make that F2. You know, we wanted to because we saw some diversity, but we love the diversity. So we wanted to kind of narrow it down in the F2 generation. And I think we did that. I feel like we narrowed it down from, say, seven or eight phenos down to five, four, three, somewhere in there. And that's more what we're trying to do. So that's why we did it. And we've done it with other crosses I've made, but not with the same success that we're having with that guy and, and his partner. So, you know, that's kind of it. You know, that's why we're making that one. Because we, I, you know, it was one of the ones that was going to go in the drawer that I mentioned before. And we fell in love with some of the phenos. And we're like, well, okay, what, would we, what do I do? Well, let's make an F2, you know, let's see if we can narrow it down. 
we did, you know. We're not going to release the F2 yet because we want we have to do more testing, but we're ready to release the F1. Uh, we got Grandmaster Kim. We think it's kind of catchy, and we think people are going to love it, you know. That's exciting. I mean, Master Kush is one you don't hear of as much these days, so good to see that making a comeback. I've got a similar sort of question for you in a sense to the last one um, in terms of the recommendation of the chem. What would you recommend, if you can't know any specifics about the grower, any, you don't get to find out anything about their preferences, you can only recommend one pack. So I guess, in essence, what I'm saying is, what pack do you think is like broad appeal, most people are going to be into it, what is your cookie cutter that you would recommend? Did you say cookie cutter? What? It's almost like you're subliminally trying to get the answer. I mean, that would be the schism. <laughs> the schism's paid... <laughs> Schism is the only cut, the only seeds that I've made that have some of that cookie in it. It's got the OG KB crossed to the sour band. So the the male in the in that cross, the tits is what it's called. This is the shit. It is the 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 male to the the, the sour band male using that cross is direct progeny, direct brother and sister to the female that I used in the sour. Uh, I'm sorry, the Kim Fuego the sour band that's used in the Kimfuego. So they're directly related in that sense. And the schism um, is a cross between the tits and the BX3 male, right? And so, honestly, it's one of my favorites, even though I'm not a big cookies guy. I just love that fucking cross. Every, I say this with 100% confidence, every single uh, schism seed that I ever popped and grew out, I would have kept as a clone only, no doubt. And I, I, that's me saying it I, 100% now I can't tell you why it hasn't been you know the Kim Fuego is our most popular the dog patch is up there for obvious reasons you know sour band right but that that schism is just off the chain easy to grow it's got both worlds it's got the new and the old mixed perfectly all phenos you know like you're gonna be happy so that's the answer you know like it's interesting, but that's the one that you're... I love it. And as one of the rare... one As one of the few people who's been lucky enough to try the rare tits cut, it's truly a special cutting, and I'm sure that pairing is going to tick a lot of boxes. So let's do a... Um, Let's do an adaptation of one of the questions we asked you last time. So in our last chat, I asked you if you had a time machine, like what would you go back and get? So now I'm going to modify that question a little bit, right? Let's just say those El Diablo wins had knocked out your entire library. You lost absolutely everything. I turn up and I say, I've got the time machine for you, but you can only bring back one pack of Lucky Dog seeds and you're going to restart the company with a male, presumably from this one pack of seeds. What pack of seeds are you going to restart the company with? That's a good question. Um, the male. The male? Oh, I mean, you could do whatever you want to restart. The, but I pres presume you're going to get a rake pack and get a male. That's a good question. I like that. It got my head going here. Um, I would say... Oh, man, that's a tough one. I don't know. I like that schism. Um... I don't know. Like, it, it's, it depends on what I was trying to do. Like, if I was going to go back to, you know, working with Kim Dog and trying to, rep, you know, put Kim Dog in, in seed form, it would be Gorilla Fume. It would be. You know, it's special like that. Um, but, you know, I tend to want to answer it a different way, but that's probably the answer. 
um i would want to do that because it's chem dog you know and that's what i'm into that's my thing you know i love it and nothing you know meshes with my brain chemistry better you know and i think a lot of us agree once we experience that like it's hard to it, it's always going to be compared to everything else we, as we move forward so maybe that would be it but also like the bohemian highway comes to mind which has really literally been one of the my least sought after which has always surprised me because it's fire and the people who did buy it they always come back you know um i had a farm up in philo california mendocino county who i don't know where they got packed from it wasn't for me but they got it from a seed bank and then they reached out to me you know and they're a farm you know they're a legal farm and they wanted to get quite a bit a bulk of that and then I was like, finally, someone recognized, you know, um, what this is, this cut is. Um, and uh, so I would say that that kind of makes me think about that one. But I can't get away from the fact that I would want to try to get back to the chem dog as fast as I could. And then that would be the Gorilla Fume, you know. Yeah, great answer. And I mean, maybe there'll be some overlap with the answer for this one. But a lot of the time people are interested, obviously, um, yield for some people is very important. What do you think is the most commercially viable in the sense that it's a good compromise of potency, yield, all the different aspects that would make it suitable for production? Hmm. I don't know. I would, I, I guess I would try to, you know, I would think about one that uh, has a good, really solid yield, easy to grow. It's not going to be complicated. It's not going to compete in a negative way with other strains or phenotypes you have in your garden and it would be honestly it would be the schism it would be you can't you can't beat the potency it's a unique the mother's so unique you can't really pin her down you can't say oh this is a cookie strain yeah it's got that in it but it you know oh no this is a you know sour diesel headband crust. you know you can't pin it down but it's got big yields you know it's you know resistant to pressure you know pest and otherwise and it's really consistent and easy to grow it's very fast to find a pheno i i was surprised by it i knew it was going to be interesting i had no idea that it was going to be so consistent and stable as far as like traits that we all love you know in in this moment in cannabis in america or otherwise so i would have to say that one you know Perfect. Great answer. Great answer. So you've got me wondering what's on the horizon for Lucky Dog Seed Co. or more generally for Skunk BA. You've gone from seed to dispensary. What do you plan to do next? So, you know, and here's the deal. So like we, I see like a need for good, clean, you know, legacy genetics. And it doesn't have to necessarily mean it's old. That's not what I mean. But like good representations of what we all agree cannabis is you know and so there's a lot of stuff out there not all of it's gonna make it to the next day not of all it's gonna make it to the next phase uh there's a lot of hype um so for me like i'm all i love doing lab work i love working under the hood you know i'm not a biologist i'm not a scientist but i know how to do some of the stuff that they do that we do and so, like, we are going to be introducing um, VA labs to the community. And we, okay, so let me start from the beginning. So tissue culture, we all know what it is. We're all familiar with why we would want to do it. We all understand the reasons why it exists. We either want to do long-term storage of genetics. We want to clean up genetics, you know, Mary Stem tissue culture. Um, and who knows what is next, you know, like, 
there are some viruses that can be passed onto the meristem rather easily. And so therefore, that's not necessarily going to be a cure. But to me, like, and I first did tissue culture in 2005. Um, Staten Island, as you call him, gave me a kit and he said, figure this out and tell me, you know, t tell me why this is useful to cannabis. And I did what he asked. And what I, my answer was like, I can't really tell you what it's useful for. I can say that transportation around the globe would be definitely at the top of the list. Um, and these, this is 2006. These are things, the, the issues that are actually, you know, being like uh, dealt with with tissue culture uh, propagation, they weren't really present at the time. You know, we weren't aware of some of the viroids. We weren't, you know, like there's a bunch of stuff, you know, like we were still in that genetic drift thing. And so that's what the answer was. So I've been familiar with it on that level. I've done other work with other, uh, I guess you call them plants, under sterile conditions, under flow hoods, you know, sterile air. So, like, I'm familiar with the process. And so what, what I'm doing is I, I want to, like, uh, what I did was, like, I wanted to find someone who, I have so many mothers, you know. Right now I have 70 mothers, 71, 71 different strains in my library. Well, that's not a lot, but it's a lot, you know. And so biggest problem, and, and it became highlighted here at Lucky Dog Cannabis, is that geez, how much labor and time and energy and resources go into keeping all those mothers? I'm all about redundancy. Redundancy is how you keep plant alive for 30 fucking years. That's the secret. What is redundancy? Redundancy is overdoing it, you know? Never relying on one. Always relying on the redundancy system. And so, you know, what I've learned here is like, I, it's hard to describe how much energy goes into keeping that ground healthy, uh, vibrant, productive, you know? There's always at least two moms. There used to be four. Now we got it down to two. To give you an example, it takes up a lot of time, a lot of space, a lot of resource. And I didn't discover that in the last few years. This has been a problem I've had for a long time now. And so when tissue, nodal tissue culture became an option for long-term storage, I was very interested in this. The problem is, is like, who to do the work? Me? I'm already busy. I got a lot going on. So there's a lot of outside options, um, you know, outsourcing i think they call it so i looked around and every time i looked into a company that does this type of work i just couldn't quite pinpoint what their goal was and it, it it's like so when you want to store your library and it's that vast and that large you want to have peace of mind the reason you want the reason you're even thinking about it is because you want to sleep at night without worrying about you want to have life again basically you want to be able to go have some fun with your girlfriend, you know what I mean? Or whatever, hang out with your family, take your dog for a fucking trip, you know, whatever it is. It becomes a problem because, you know, you can't really get that freedom. It's not the flower production that takes your time. It's really that. That's what keeps you up at night. If my flower crop goes to shit, I don't lose any sleep over it. I just start over. Well, you can't do that with your library, you know? You lose something, it's gone forever. And whenever that happens to you, it breaks your heart in 5,000 pieces and you can't put it back together ever again. You just have to kind of mourn it and move on. I've been through it. So nodal tissue culture, as we moved into the modern era, was something that was very interesting to me, very attractive to me. But every time I went and looked at a company that could help me with this, and I'm, I tend to do things on my own, so there's that, but it's just I couldn't figure out what's going to happen next. And then you hear stories. This company did this. This scandal happened. This fucking bullshit happened. I don't want to be part of that because, like I said, I just want to sleep well at night knowing my shit's safe, you know? These are my kids. These are my dogs. This is my family. It has to be safe. 
And so I just couldn't trust the system. So I was like, okay, if I want to do this, I have to do it myself, right? Not the decision I want to make, but that's the decision. And so that's where we're at. And that's where VA Labs is popping up from. That's where, we're, that's where it was born of. So I took it upon myself to learn the process, you know, uh, nodal tissue culture, Mary stem tissue culture. Yeah, sure, synthetic seeds. These things aren't that, uh, you know, useful to me. They're part of the, 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 the work, you know. And so, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, like, well, you know, maybe there's other, uh, you know, preservationists out there that feel the same way. They can't seem to break free of the chain around their damn neck because of their mother's stock, you know. Their mother block is just taking up all their life and time. So, you know, maybe, maybe I can, like, you know, learn the process, share the process, and that's key. I want to teach other folks how to do this, you know. I feel like that cannabis has missed, a, had a, a close call with, say, like hoplite and viroid, you know. It snuck into all of our gardens and almost ruined many, you know, uh, people's libraries, you know, in the, in the silent of the night, you know. It's kind of a, a silent killer, you know. Um, and so, you know, what I saw was there's like a, a, a use for that. Like, you know, storing people's genetics is obviously a service that we're going to provide and that we're happy to, but we also feel that it's going to be better to teach people the process, teach companies the process. Anyone who cares about it, we can help them with that, and that's what we're going to do. Um, so we're going to be doing, you know, genetic storage. We're going to be cleaning up genetics, you know, all the typical stuff, but also we're going to be teaching people how to do it themselves because we realize that that's where the, um, that's the biggest need, you know. You're not going to like be a company in New York and come out to Montana or California to get your cuts. It's just not practical. So what is practical? Having your own, you know, your own team learn the process, master the process, feel confident, and then you can store your own genetics. What does that do for cannabis? That propels cannabis. That, that keeps cannabis genetic pool clean and allows anyone who comes across any problems to have the proper skills to do something about it. And then, you know, we, uh, we've been known to have pretty good reputation, and we're not going to fuck you over. We don't want nothing from you. We already got what you got. So if you want to store it here, we can do that for you. So to be honest, with Lucky Dog Cannabis, what this is, it's a licensed facility. It's a licensed business in the United States. And, you know, I believe personally that national legalization is just a few days away. It's coming quicker than anyone realizes and once that happens, interstate commerce, when it comes to cannabis, is going to become, going to become part of the deal. And what that means is that, like, it doesn't matter what state we're in. We're all going to be able to help you. We're going to be able to work with you. And that's what the goal is. So, and then furthermore, we want to be able to provide clean, verified clean. How? Well, we're going to be testing it. We're going to be testing it every two weeks. We're going to be testing mother stock, your mother stock, if you choose. If you're ready to come out of tissue culture and be integrated into, you know, uh, standard propagation practices, we're going to make sure that before that step happens, whatever it is, whether it be ours or yours or whatever it is, it's going to be clean. You know, we're going to we're going to make sure of it. You know, and so, you know, the the testing has come a long way. You know, now we're taking root. Uh, you know, we're testing the roots in the first few inches of soil at different locations. And, you know, uh, we are investing in, we have a QPCR machine, so we are able, you know, the tests for QPCR machines are pretty readily available for hoplite and viroid, for instance, and other pathogens, as long as, uh, as, as well as sex testing, 
we'll be offering all those services and we feel like that is a good focus focal point for us to further take the next step with cannabis you know um and of course there's other ways of doing it there's other folks doing it out there but you know it's just tough to find someone who really gets it you know and understands like where we're going with all this and we feel i feel like we do we, we get it you know we've always been about the plant we always will be about the plant and so you know if there's you know a service that is worth money great but that's not exactly why we're doing it we just want to make sure that cannabis makes it to its next step that's what i've been doing the whole time and that's what i'm going to continue doing and when when i saw this kind of opportunity or you know like kind of this vision to do it it i just couldn't it's just passion it's like my passion just went right to it like this is it this is what we got to do this is the work we've been waiting for we've been in this lull between what we've done and what we're going to do and this is it you know so we're doing it you know wow that's super exciting and in all honesty we could probably spend a whole episode just delving into the specifics of it all we'll have to keep our eyes open for va labs that sounds super cool we're sort of on the tail end of things and i have a really good patreon question i wanted to run by you before we wrap things up which is basically along the lines of what does staten island think about the fact you've been able to make a really successful company off the back of chemdog does he ever talk about wanting to do his own breeding or start his own company? Um, he is uh, going to be opening a nursery in Northern California. And so where we're at right now, he's like, he would like to get Lucky Dog, you know, breeder cuts in, in the nursery. So that's kind of where we're at, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he, we all played our role, you know. None of us, like, did anything. We all, collectively, what we did was we preserved one of the greatest you know the the queen of contemporary cannabis is what we've done you know we did that and so you know um i think that we all are aware of the role we played in the bigger picture and for any one of us to take like uh you know a fucking victory lap about what each what an individual has done would be kind of that's not in the spirit of what we're trying to do and he he gets that you know so i think that that like we're we're talking about um, that nursery and how to get unique genetics and of course lucky dog you know cuts there so you know that's that's kind of what i would say i can't speak for other people but i would say that that's pretty close to what, what you would hear you know that's really cool to hear and hopefully as time goes by people can get access to some killer breeder cuts through his nursery one of the other patreon questions we got from a fellow virginian was what area of Virginia is Skunk VA from? And as legalization rolls out further, would you ever consider moving back to Virginia? Absolutely. Um, I always dreamed to uh, sell legal cannabis in Virginia. Um, I'm from Richmond, the south side of Richmond, on the south side of the James River, Chesterfield County was where I grew up. Um, but I did, I did uh, spend some time in Oregon Hill in Richmond. Um, back when it was a weird place. It's not weird now. It's kind of gentrified. Um, but uh, south side of Richmond is what we call it, the south side, um, Chesterfield County, you know. I would definitely not consider moving back there. Virginia is a beautiful place. It's one of the most beautiful places in the United States. Uh, George Washington National Park is one of the most beautiful places you could ever be. And there's so many other spots, you know. Um, it's an interesting place. It's a diverse place in some ways. And cannabis has always been a really popular thing in Virginia. 
oddly enough, because it's, you know, you get in a lot of trouble for it over the years. Um, I, I don't think I would ever move back to it, but I would like to uh, kind of do what your, your, your listeners are suggesting and, and kind of be part of the, you know, uh, evolution of cannabis there because I'm from there. I always like, uh, every time I've ever been busted, I'm always thinking, you motherfucker, I might hire your kids one day, you know, because <laughs> I know they care about weed more than you hate it, you know. And so that, that's a little bit of a motivation. But also, yeah, I'm from there, and it's like everything that happened in my life stemmed from, you know, growing up there, just kind of coincidentally. And, yeah, Virginia's. I think everyone knows now, Virginia's well-known for its contribution to cannabis in the United States, through the dark ages especially. So I'm so happy to see that my brothers and my sisters there are able to, you know, more freely express themselves in uh, their love for cannabis without the fear of what can happen, the consequences. And so I would love that. You know, I would love to be part of any kind of, you know, thing that picks up and happens there. You know, it's a slow moving process legalization there. Um, just the way they're doing it, but it's happening, you know. And when I go there to visit, because I, I have gone to some seed events there, and I go back, and it, I love my people back there. Like, they're good to me, and I I just love their passion. You know, I recognize their passion. I see it, the same passion that I came up with, in spite of the law, in spite of what the consequences. I still see it, and I so much love it, you know. So, yeah, I would love to be part of it, but I don't think I'll ever live there, so to speak. I'm not big on the humidity. I wasn't when I grew up there, and I'm not still now. So that would be a big one for me, you know? Sure, sure. So one of our listeners wanted to know, what is the sort of considerations that go into making a hybrid for you? And they specifically reference that uh, the pine sole, the goji OG, is a cut they love. They were a bit caught off guard. They weren't exactly expecting you to make a hybrid with it, and they thought, oh, wow, there's... Maybe all these cuts I wasn't necessarily thinking he might work with. What is it? Is it just you liking the flower and going, this will work well? Like what goes into you picking a cut to breed with? Well, that's just it. It's, it's the, I fall in love with the mom, the cut, and, and I want to see what else we can do with it. So it's like a bit of experiment, experimentation at that point. But it starts with that. It starts with, I like the cut. Sometimes, um you find a cut that you just want to see what happens, you know, and that's happened a few times, but really it's the, you know, like the, um, the sunshine biscuits is a good example of one where I absolutely love the mother. I love the, the flavor potency is missing. It's just not that strong, you know, even for me and I don't need like overpowering cannabis, but it's just not that strong. It's kind of a quick blasting, um, you know, high effect. And the flavor is just phenomenal, you know. And so that one's an outlier because of that. It's like, maybe we can improve this. And we did. And I feel like the strength of what we've made is, you know, more in tune with what we think it should be. Not the cut, but just cannabis in general. Um, but it maintains that flavor, the beautiful colors, you know, the experience you have with Cherry AK, right? So that's an outlier of that. But other than that, it's like, oh, I love this cut. Let's just work with it and see what happens, you know. And like I said, most of the time, we're not happy with the results. And most, maybe everyone, maybe most people would be, but, it, but I'm not, you know. Like, if there's too many damn phenos, it's just, it's not what we're trying to do, you know. If it's too dominated by Dog, that's also not what we're trying to do. And in that case, we may try the BX2 male, right? 
and if that's not where it is, then it just goes in the drawer, you know, and we'll deal with it some other day. There's plenty of types of work we can do with those, but what we're trying to do at Lucky Dog it, now, that's not really in, in tune with what we're doing. So it goes in the drawer. We're not trying to sell a guy in Texas, for instance, or Arkansas, or Mississippi. You know, well, let's take Mississippi because they're, they're actually medical now. But, you know, Georgia, and then, and then like, confuse them with a bunch of phenos. And it could be disappointing, you know, and we don't want that. So that's what we're trying to do now, you know. In the future, well, we got a lot of stuff to work with, and maybe our goals will be slightly different, you know. But that's kind of it. Nice. I, I like that. It's uh, well thought out. So our final Patreon submitted questions before we do a few quickfire ones is, can you tell us a little bit about the Royal Apple? It's made by our buddy Jay Trees and used in the Zephyr. I guess people don't really see it anywhere else. How would you describe that mother for people? That mother, um, it had, the reason I uh, got interested in using that mother was, so I met him at the 2017 um, Emerald Cup, and he gave me some seeds, you know, and they were interesting, you know, the Long Valley Royal, we're all familiar with that, Man of Rot's work, and, and then uh, Cross with the Sour Apple, I believe it is. And so, um, you know, that's interesting. This sounds interesting to me, so I popped it. Honestly, they weren't like, what i hope but there was one pheno that had this amazing color and purple and i don't really have a lot of beautiful i wanted to like have visually a visually different stimulating kind of cross you know to kind of like give people who are into that an option at lucky dog and so um that was where i started it didn't have the structure didn't have say the potency so it was a prime candidate to be crossed with the bx3 and so that's what i did i worked it into a uh, pollination that I did and I was really pleased with the results you know, I, I love the color the structure everything was improved um, but it had that pedigree and also that extra fuel chem just you know sticky icky just destroy you kind of thing and so we went with it you know um, you know that's pretty much the story you know it started off with I wanted a more beautiful I wanted a, a, a visually appealing flower you know um, just to see what comes from it because oftentimes deep purple strains like that gosh you're pretty but the flavor you know potency the, the, the oftentimes those things are missing with the zephyr we nailed it we got it you know we had those pink purple hues but we had this fucking dripping trichrome production and just like amazing flavor i fell in love with it you know and very consistent you know like two phenos you know it was really nice beautiful great answer and i love to hear that uh J-Tree's work made it into the library. So on to our final questions. We'll, we'll juggle it up a little bit this time so we don't repeat any from last time. First one is, what's the single most memorable cannabis experience you've had? So it doesn't necessarily have to be like the most potent hit you ever took, but just for whatever reason, it just sticks with you as like that was just a great memory and cannabis was involved. Well, I did, I did share with you that joint that I smoked in 1991, and that's definitely at the top of the list, but I'll give you another one. Um, in Grateful Deadland, uh, they, you would find what they call backstage bud. And backstage bud, it didn't, it wasn't a particular strain. It was what they wanted, you know, as they, you know, came out in the parking lot and searched around, you know, they got a lot of clout. So they're going to see things that I'm not going to see, you know, even though I'm out there every day, they come out, you know, for a minute, you know, I, I know who Steve Parrish is, you know, you want to see some good weed. Hey, Steve Parrish. He's the roadie for, you know, a roadie for the Grateful Dead. Uh, he was Jerry Garcia's right-hand man. He's like a, a bouncer slash guitar polisher slash 
roadie. Like, he did it all. So I don't know if he was the one, but I know he loves weed, and he would come out. You'd see him out there every now and again. I mean, mostly he was working. But he had a thing called backstage butt, and this is the backstage butt. It wasn't the same as yesterday. It wasn't the same as the last set of shows in the other city. This is what they're smoking tonight. And there was this one um, particular uh, backstage bud that was, I, I, I think we were, we, were, we were in Oakland, California, and I believe it was December, and I believe it was in December 1992. And this weed was indoor weed from, uh, Minia- or from Minnesota, I believe Minneapolis or St. Paul area. This stuff looked like someone had taken sugar water and sprayed it on it and let it dry. It looked like rock candy, you know? And it, it was almost fake looking. The buds were kind of sparse. They were definitely like coated in this like glassy like trichrome. It was just oozing with resin, you know. And the jars were all eighths, mason jars that were sealed somehow. Don't know how they would have done that, you know. Like when you open it, you hear the pop, you know, like like a like a canned jar. And that stuff stands out in my memory. Don't know what it was. Don't know what the strain was. It was just backstage, but. And then someone I knew, my little buddy, little Mike, uh, he found, he's rest in peace, he's not with us anymore, but he had a knack for networking that I've never seen anywhere in my life uh, to this day. And he somehow came across, you know, a box of these eighths and mason jars. And he, you know, this is the backstage, but we didn't question that. It was phenomenal and it was amazing, you know, it was so good. So that always will stick out in my head. And that's a long time ago, that's 1992. You know, it's a long, so I would say, you know, that, that memory's endured, you know. Brilliant. What a great story. So next one, if I'm going to drop you off on a desert island and you can only take three strains with you to grow for the rest of eternity, what three are you taking? Kim Dog, I think. Yeah, Kim Dog. I don't know, man. Sour Diesel. And something different. You make me pick three. Um, tits. <laughs> nice selection i like that i like yeah. that what sort of changes do you think are needed to help keep the ogs in the system and not being forced out the ogs are not business people business people and ogs as you say they're very different animals so i would say like to the death protect the home grow to the death you know like increase the numbers allowed like how many tomato plants am i allowed to have endless so why would cannabis be different you know and right now in the united states the biggest problem i see right now is the federal government is gearing up for national legalization how are they doing that right now what they're doing is they're they're preemptively creating a regulatory system um, that's going to affect us all as national legalization comes oh who did the federal government ask they asked liquor producers they asked beer producers uh we all know that we that those uh th- that industry feels falsely that they're at odds with cannabis that cannabis is direct competition you and i both know and we discussed it last night over dinner that that's not the case that cannabis and say wine um beer they go to hand in hand they're actually complement each other you know if i'm a beer you know if i'm way into beer which i don't drink beer anymore but it, if it was you know, like I, the same kind of experience I'm having with craft beers is the same kind of experience I'm going to have with cannabis. The people who are making the rules, they get it wrong every time, and now they're getting ready to give it really wrong. The federal government has put together a regulatory committee or whatever you would call it, and it's based on like the, the makers of Molson, uh, you know, 
Kentucky cheap bourbon um, and others. And it's mostly alcohol. And it's, to me, I think it's important that we don't just stand by and say, yeah, cannabis is like alcohol. It's not like alcohol, you know, and it's not. It's, it's, it intoxicates you, but that's it. That's as far as it goes on, on, a, on a public safety um, standpoint. So as far as like the way we view wine and craft beers and, and flavor, that is very much, um, you know, relating to cannabis and how we, we perceive it and experience it, you know. But how could the federal government understand that? How could any of these people who feel like they're in direct competition, you know, people have 50 bucks this week to spend on their vice, you know? The liquor and alcohol industry says, we want all 50 bucks, right? So if you put them in charge of developing a regulatory system for cannabis, they're gonna make sure that they get the 50 bucks over here still. What does that mean? That means they're gonna like push us out, you know, the OGs, as you say. It's already happened in many states like California, you know? And so, like, that would be the focus. That would be the place that we have to stop. And we can't do it after. We have to do it before. Because, as we all know, you can't change what they already do. You can't go back. It's so difficult. It could take decades. Now's the time. Now's the time to get involved. Now's the time to come out of the shadows. Now's the time to push back. Now's the time for us to say what regulation for cannabis should and shouldn't be. We don't want no regulation. We all want a safe product. But I don't want Molson to tell us what that safety is. They don't know anything about safety. They've been, their, their gig has been, you know, oh, it, like safety got circumvented around their industry. Their industry is not safe. I'd like to have a nice little drink, you know, we all, you like wine, I like wine, you know, and others. I like bourbon, you know, I appreciate good bourbon, good Kentucky bourbon. And so like, you know, it's, it just doesn't translate. The, the liquor industry, the alcohol industry, let's say, their regulation doesn't translate to cannabis. Now, if you talk to a politician, to them it clearly does. It's two vices that people spend money on. We're going to tax the fuck out of it, and we're going to make money on it. To them it makes sense, and I understand that. And this isn't like adversarial. It's just they're uneducated. They don't understand cannabis. We do. So now's the time, if you're a big cannabis producer out there, you know, you know, get off your fucking ass and stop counting your fucking money in your jet and get involved. You're the ones that are going to speak for me. And so since you're going to speak for me, make sure you speak clearly and accurately for me. I am an OG, and there's many of us out here. If you want to do it right, you do it right. But get involved, you know. Take your fucking millions of dollars you made off the legacies that many of us produce and fucking put it where it belongs. Put it where your mouth is and stop bullshitting and, and get involved. And I will get involved too, but I don't have that power. I don't have that, that, that pull. So you do, do it. You know what I mean? Don't let it fuck up. Yeah, it may work out for you. You'll figure out a way to work out for you. But what about the plant? What about the culture? What about the rest of us? You know, get involved. Because now's the time. They're already, the United States Congress has already passed a bill to allow the regulatory system to be developed. But the people, the players that they invited in, they're the wrong people. They're not the right people. They're going to take it out of your pocket. They're going to take it from you. So be careful. And, and furthermore, protect the home grower. Don't feel threatened by the home grower. I see a lot of these big producers are pretty adamant against the home grower. It disgusts me. It makes me sick to my stomach. You don't get it if that's your position. If you are against the home grower because you want to make your little money off the eighth, you don't get it. And you need to wake up and you need to act right and you need to like 
put your money where the culture is. This is not alcohol. No one makes beer at home. No one makes beer or liquor at home for consumption. It's a hobby. It's a niche. Cannabis is different, and that's the main reason why. And I think that's you know maybe your your point that the home grower is the backbone of cannabis. Why? Because the home grower has learned. You know what you learn from growing cannabis is is one of the most important lessons you can learn. You can be self-reliant. You can be self-sufficient. You don't need everything that you can buy. You can actually produce some of the things that you consume. Cannabis would be at the top of the lesson list. And when you when you discover that you can, you know, when you fall in love with cannabis, it, it's at the top of the list of things you love. It's not like yeah, I'm okay with it. You know, no, you're it, you love it. You know, if you don't love it, okay. But when you do love it, you become passionate about it. When you grow your own cannabis, it opens up a door that you never had open. Like you can be passionate about so many things that you consume that you can't produce yourself, you know, at home for you and your family. I don't give a fuck if it's San Pedro, you know, I don't give a shit if it's tomatoes, kale, whatever it is. You find, you discover through cannabis, just like I did, that you can be in control and empowered by what you consume and producing yourself. So that should always be the focus. Without that, there's no real legalization, you know? So for the final question, we're going to jazz it up a bit here. I want you to give me a quick summary of what a day in the life of Skunk VA would be in 10 years' time if everything goes to plan. Do you wake <laughs> up in, a, in Malibu with a jacuzzi out front? Like, what, what's a day for you in 10 years' time if everything goes well? Hmm. Jeez, I don't know, man. That's a long time from now. You know, I'm glad you didn't ask what my day like is today because nobody wants to hear about that. But uh, I would say, you know, what I talked about, like, you know, pulling off some of these goals. Like, being, like, it, you know, how do I say? Reintroducing, injecting into the cannabis culture of the old school. You know, how did this start? Never letting the user, the grower, the big producer forget. Where did all this come from? How did we get to this point? Um, and I think that like the clean, you know, keeping dedicated to the, uh, further, you know, furthering of the plant itself, um, whether it be cleaning it from pathogens, whether it be creating new practices for people to avoid pressure from pathogens and stuff like that. I think that's good work, you know, and I, I'm happy with that. You know, um, I would like to be you know, part of that movement, you know, and I'm, I am going to be part of that movement, but I would like it to be successful like that. And then of course, what I said about when the United States goes national legalization, it's one of the biggest things that's going to happen on earth. You know, imagine cannabis producers in the United States exporting cannabis to China, you know, imagine a stressed out society like China, you know, feeling some relief from their day to day, like we do with cannabis. So to me, that would be it. Where I'll be, Malibu, I don't know about all that, you know. You know, I've been to Malibu. I, I, I don't, I, it's not for me, you know. But, I mean, I certainly wouldn't want to have to work as hard as I am in 10 years from now. I'm, I'm going to be 50 years old next year, you know. So I feel like I work too hard a lot. And that would be, you know, personally, that would be something that I would want to go for to more kind of feel like, all right, you know, we, we fought the battle. And like we've made some progress and let's pass it on to the next generation and let's hang out and chill with our dogs and fucking smoke a fatty on the beach somewhere maybe or on the top of a mountain. 
But as far as cannabis and the culture goes, I just would like to re. I think that it's being the, you know, you say OGs has kind of gotten, it's starting to feel like a relic. It's starting to feel like the past. It's start, it needs to be reinjected. It's not the past. We're out here still. We're still influencing. We're still working, you know. So that part, I would, I would say, I would want to be part of that to, to reinject that back into the culture that, hey, you know, young man or woman, this is where this all happened. This is where it all came from. This is what had to happen for you to enjoy this plant, you know. That's awesome to hear that uh, even in 10 years' time, you're still serving the plant. I love that. So that brings us just about to the end of it for this one. Do you have any comments or shout-outs you want to throw in the mix? Nope. Perfect. Well, as always, a huge thank you for coming on the show. Except for you. I appreciate you. You know, I really do. You are one of us. You perpetuate the culture. You perpetuate the facts, the realness of it. It's so easy for, for the big players to gloss over some of the things that happen. Maybe they don't even notice. Maybe it never occurred to them. And you keep it alive, and we all appreciate you for it. Oh, you're too kind. It's reciprocal. Anyway, that brings us to the end of it. Thanks so much again. Thank you. Appreciate you. So what do you think, guys? Absolutely incredible one, in my opinion. We're so incredibly grateful for Skunk VA taking the time to chat to us yet again, sharing all of his insights and experiences. As he said so many times, this is his life. As always, we're hugely appreciative of both you and our sponsors. Seeds here now, best seed bank in the game, all the hottest breeders. Go get some Lucky Dog Seeds right now from Seeds here now. Likewise, go check out Copa Biological Systems. Get yourself some Afiparem or some Spidex Vital. Trust me, release these before you have a problem and you can avoid the tears and heartache of pest and predator infestation. Trust me, guys, you've got to stay on top of this one. Likewise, a huge shout out to our friends at Pulse Sensors. You know them, you love them. A single tent, single room, a multi-state operation. They're all using Pulse Sensors. If you don't have one, get serious, guys. Get a Pulse. Increase yields, resin, flavor, everything you want. Check them out. Likewise, huge shout out to the Patreon gang. We love you. They heard this one hella early. If you're just listening to this live now in the general public, just know we're multiple episodes in the future. They've listened to it. They're talking about it. You've probably seen it on Instagram. You're like, I haven't heard that one yet. That's right. Go go join the Patreon. www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. That'll do it for this one, friends. This is Heavy D. Signing off from the Upside Down Library. We'll see you.